This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Happy Monday to you. By the way, a couple of days, uh, Thanksgiving's Thursday. Well, really? Yeah, this is this is this is a good week. We had Thanksgiving last night. So did we. Because we don't have a thanks- pre-Thanksgiving. We don't have Thanksgiving at home. We go to the in-laws. And oh, my so you had it and- as a family. So my wife cooks like Cornish game hens. Wow. Everyone gets one. Well, there's three, and then stuffing and all that kind of stuff. Yummy it's stuff and stuff. It's good. It's the best. Yeah. You need a pre-turkey, practice turkey. It kind of you know or. Yeah, you, you got to do a, a warm up. You can't just jump into that. Yeah, you, you have don't to stretch. Want, people get hurt. Yeah, do some sprints. <laughs> Did you game them yourselves? He's such what? a gamer. The uh, the game hens. Um, if you mean, do we go to the uh, grocery store and just buy them? Yeah, I That's hear they I mean. taste gamey. No, it actually, tastes like chicken. But my wife said oh. no. They're they're hens. I'm what like, does nuts. what does game taste like? Have you not tasted game? Well, I, I ate Thrilled. a card, cardboard piece it's, of a board game once. It's different than that. Okay. I it's call gamey. Them, I call them loser turkeys, and my wife says that's insensitive, so I'm not sure where, good point. where we stand on that. But don't, You don't need to put them down, what, just because they're smaller? Just because they're not a, quite it's full? It's a single-serving turkey. Yeah. You know, for the someone has nowhere to go. But that, the problem with it is it's still the same work as a regular turkey, but yeah. it's just single-serving. It was great. We had regular turkey. There, there's something empowering about having an entire bird on your plate. Oh, that sounds horrible. Legs, wings, everything. Just all in one piece. Every every pro bird person out there is This This is not the time of year for you, then. No, this is going to be a bad <laughs> month. Hey, it's November 21st, World Television Day. It's a great day. It's a great day. In December 1996, the United Nations General Assembly proclaimed the 21st of November World Television Day. This decision was taken in order to give recognition of the increasing impact television has had on decision-making by various conflicts and threats to peace and security around the world. They made it all serious. Why? I just want to watch TV. I know, but it's, yeah, like, I thought it was more like about the Brady Bunch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. No, it's about, you know, The global impact of... And the economic impact and social impact of television. Yeah. So now that you know they have a World Social Media Day. Yeah, of course. They've got it. It's also World Hello Day. Yes. Hello. Yes, I was going to tell you to Hello. do this. It's me. Who? Hello. Who is this? I was wondering. Uh, we got a bad connection here. <laughs> Hello. 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 It's, uh, this was created in 1973 in order to show people, especially the people of the Middle East, that conflicts can and should be resolved through communication, not violence. Hmm. World Hello Day. Okay. Just send Adele over there. Right. She'll like swat at bats Hi. during concerts. Did you see that? No. She was on stage some concert and a bat started flying around. So she's are you serious? Duck and cover, run. Was that now? Is this going to turn into a Batman story? I know it didn't. Okay. Just checking. Not yet. Not yet. Hey, uh, Joe Cannon will be on the show today. Yep. We'll be talking politics. Find out what he thinks about the transition. A lot of people is it they're saying it's you know it's it's a scattered it's sluggish it's not working transition stuck except for Trump he says it's fine yeah on Twitter he just keeps parading people through it's odd the uh, he's at the uh, golf club in New Jersey that he mm-hmm. owns 
and it kind of looks like um, the official residence of the prime minister in England. Oh, does it now? Oh, that well, front just in step. The, in yeah. the idea that you're walking out the front step, mm-hmm. there's a like a drive area. The media's in this pen across the way, and they're they're, they're shouting questions roo, out. Roo, roo, yeah, roo. yeah. That was it's a it's a weird. It has like a, it's a white building. There's it? pillars. It, it almost looks, looks like the White House. Yeah, yeah. It's it's better than an office building. I'm sure the people in New York are happy. Just get out of here. Yeah. They don't have to deal with all of the media and the police and Ugh. bah. So uh, the parade continues. We'll we'll talk more about that, see if any decisions have uh, been made on any other cabinet members. Um, but first, let's get to some headlines. Terry, what, uh, what do we need to be focusing on today? Uh, let's see. Navy Admiral Mike Rogers, who yes. heads the NSA and uh, Cyber, Army Cyber Command. So those are two places you're familiar with. Oh, now, yeah. Every day. Said that he believed the publication of internal Democratic National Committee emails didn't ultimately sway the outcome of the election. Really? The NSA chief didn't identify Russia as the foreign actor who had hacked the emails, but the intelligence community generally agrees that they were the source of the intrusion. Last week, Rogers said that there was no doubt that a nation state deliberately tried to interfere with the U.S. elections, but he didn't say it actually swayed the outcome. Interesting. So they tried, but we are unswayed. Yes. Over the weekend, the... uh, Donald Trump settled the uh, with a $25 million settlement yeah. on a Friday in response to a lawsuit alleging the now defunct Trump University defrauded former students of tens of thousands of dollars. Paid $25 million, got out of three lawsuits. I'm not, is that the one in San Diego or is that in New York? I think it was. I think it was. I thought the one in San Diego was one of those okay. three. I just wanted to have but, him in court at the end of November. Yeah. He just, oh. yeah, he had to dodge that court date. Republican National Committee Chairman Reince Priebus and uh, incoming Chief of Staff for Mr. Trump defended President-elect Donald Trump's decision to settle the fraud lawsuit surrounding Trump University, saying Trump wanted to focus on the transition without any distractions. And Trump went on Twitter and said that, I could have won this, but I decided just yeah. to pay it off and get this off my table. Probably not a bad idea. Not a bad idea. And probably should have done it years ago. But he was saying, I'm in it, I'm innocent, this is, yeah. yeah. $25 million check. What are you going to do? Uh, President-elect Donald Trump's wife and young son, Barron, will not be moving into the White House with him when he is inaugurated in the, yeah. as the 45th They're president. waiting. They're going to hold off. They're going to hold off. He's in school. It's hard to find a place. They There were rumors, yeah. rumors that Melania Trump was in the area of D.C. looking for a private school for Barron. Von Schmidt. Really? I want to call him Von Schmidt. No, just call him Baron. Bon Jovi? Baron. We'll Baron see. Bon Jovi? We'll figure out a name. So they're they're going to all these private schools, and whoever the like the PTA type situation for all yeah, the different the, schools, yeah. people are trying to get, get up close and you know become influential with her because she's just Ugh. a name person. But can you imagine having to take Baron to um, to school? She she apparently drives him or goes with him every day to school. Yeah. Drops him off. But imagine in a, in moving a him. In a LeBaron. LeBaron. Yeah, Baron in a LeBaron. Great. So they're going to stay in New York and okay. figure things out from there. Wow. Good. Good news. Also, uh, some fun news from the weekend. Mitt Romney met with Donald Trump. And uh, Mitt, you know, they, they – I don't know if you guys remember. They hated each other. They hated each other. And I'm putting words in their mouth. But – uh, this is this is their take on their meeting. We had a, uh, a 
a, a, a far-reaching uh, uh, conversation with regards to the various uh, theaters in the world where there are interests of the United States of uh, real significance. Uh, we discussed those areas and uh, uh, exchanged our, our, our views on those topics. Uh, very uh, uh, thorough and in-depth discussion uh, in the time we had and uh, appreciate the chance to speak with the president-elect uh, and, uh, and look forward to uh, the, the coming administration. Wow. Okay. So pretty much nothing. <laughs> Saturday Night Live had an interesting uh, interpretation of that. What did they? What did as they? They had Trump and uh, Romney meeting. It's clip seven there. Mitt, uh, Mitt Romney is here. Really? Okay. Send him in, please. Yeah. Yeah. Hey. Hello, Mr. President-elect. Thank you for taking the time to meet with me. Governor Romney, so good of you to come. They're shaking hands. <laughs> Kind of staring at each other. This isn't going to work, is it? I don't think so. Great. That's great. <laughs> this isn't going to happen. They stood there for probably 10, 15 seconds just shaking hands, <laughs> looking at each other awkwardly. This isn't going to work. Um, it was quite a weekend. Uh, Mr. Pence, vice president uh, elect, went to see the show Hamilton. He was booed on the way in. And apparently, yeah, the cast the cast got all crazy. Not crazy. Wait. You know, we had a, a, a guest in the audience this evening. And Vice President-elect Pence, I see you walking out, but I hope you will hear us just a few more moments. There's nothing to boo here, ladies and gentlemen. There's nothing to boo here. We're all here sharing a story of love. We have a, we have a message for you, sir, and we hope that you will hear us out. And I encourage everybody to pull out your phones and tweet and post, because this message needs to be spread far and wide, Okay. Vice President-elect Pence, we welcome you and we truly thank you for joining us here at Hamilton and American Musical. We really do. We, sir, we are the diverse America who are alarmed and anxious that your new administration will not protect us. Our planet, our children, our parents, or defend us and uphold our inalienable rights, sir. But we truly hope that this show has inspired you to uphold our American values and to work on behalf of all of us. All of us. Boy, he's on the list now. <laughs> it's It seems like he, So what was that offensive? Well, it seems like he ought to be able to go to Hamilton and not have a lecture. Agreed. Right? I mean, they're not... He just should be able to go see a play. But they had the president... The vice president-elect sitting there. Well, right. So, so they spoke so, with him. Well, great. Then if if after he chose to go meet the cast, uh-huh. then when he was meeting the cast, they ought to – I guess they could have the right to say what they want to say. But he probably doesn't need to be lectured to in front of a group and just – let's just do the deal. Let's just go home. I mean I get it. They They don't feel safe. I get it. So let's work. Everywhere he goes, he's going to get a lecture now. No, just this one situation. Well, and then they no, spoke every as next if, play. The they next spoke play. as if they represented everybody in the audience. Right. Hmm. I don't know. No, they said we the cast members. Yeah, but they spoke for the cast members. Mm, they right. said we the cast members. Mm. It mm. just seems like would 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 the exact same thing have been okay with President Obama? No. If they were doing no. it on behalf of the cast members, they should have done what you just said and done it backstage Invited in front him backstage of the other cast members. And now he would have had to accept. But 
I don't know. It just seems like when does this end? And half of the frustration is it's not Mike Pence is probably not the one you need to be lecturing. There's other picks from the administration that right. might need the lecture a little bit more. I don't know. I don't know where this would ever end. I guess forever everybody gets to make their point, I guess. But that nobody's nobody does this with President Obama, do they? I don't know. So wait, who this deserves who deserves the lecture? Who are you talking about? I'm well, Steve Bannon is on the well, hate list already. But at the same time, this is someone from the I know, administration. So, they took their opportunity. Right, right, they did. And so I guess this will end in never. This I don't know. Every event they ever go to. Maybe when when a group of people feel like they're being heard from the other side. Well, I know, but when will again the the people that support Trump didn't feel hear, heard for sure. five eight years and right they didn't make a point of it at every Hollywood event at every. Well, music award event at yeah. every I mean where does it end that Hollywood that that everybody just accepts that they didn't win this election well they didn't they didn't question the election they question what's coming out of it no exactly and so they're when, just asking, I know, so when does when does the other side eight years people didn't feel like they were heard mm-hmm. and for eight years these people apparently were feeling like they were heard Apparently, because okay. they, they didn't do this to Obama. Right. They didn't do this to Biden. Sure. It just seems like there's a point where let's just, just accept it and let's just – like President Obama saying, let's just give him some mm-hmm. time. Let him see what he's going to do. Let, him, let everybody see what he's going to do then make a comment. Just Let's just give him some time. Anyway, seems like a weird start. First, you Surprising? Know. For half the country. Who, does, it, does it surprise you? There's a reason he won. There's a reason he won. Because people didn't feel heard either. So it just is crazy. And seeing as it's almost a 50-50 split on those who voted, well, and it's, then I think we're going to hear a lot of this. Well, <laughs> it, well, but we're only hearing a lot of it because it's Hamilton and right. Hamilton stars have a voice and SNL – has a voice, they do. right? Mm-hmm. Hollywood has a voice, and what, whatever the award ceremony was last the, night, the yeah. music awards, they, they have a voice. A voice. Mm-hmm. So it's funny that the people with a voice have a voice, but the people in Middle America that didn't have a voice for eight years, they didn't have the benefit of the music awards mm-hmm. having their voice or the Hamilton cast sticking up for Middle White America. Okay, not even white, but just Middle America. You know, sometimes you forget that there are people that are happy about Trump winning. And, you know, I look yeah. out my window and across the street, my neighbor has a Trump sign. And that is what reminds me, oh, yeah, there are some people that are happy but about this. But be careful because that will electrocute you. Some of those signs oh, right. will kill you. Yeah. It's, it, there's just a point that, bruh, let's move on. Man, let's move on. Kanye's even slamming Beyonce now. Mm. What is going on to this world? And Kanye said, if I had voted, I would have voted for Trump. Yeah. Is that true? Yeah. Then he got booed. I don't believe that's true. Mainly, I think the people booed him because they just wanted to hear Kanye sing, not Kanye talk about why he didn't do something. Yeah, just Kanye. Yeah, in fact, he had to give the money back. Does he sing or does he just rap? Yes, it depends. Okay. Sometimes he's auto-tuned, which is kind of that's blurring the lines. Mean- Sometimes means all the time, right? That's my favorite tune, <laughs> the auto tune. Last night, though, I was 
surprise. The American Music Awards are on. That was it. AMA. I just flipped it on to see what was there. There, Someone was doing a song, and then I looked up the song, and there's 274 million views on this song. I've never heard of it. Really? Usually that stuff bleeds into car ads sure. or other commercials. Some, I've never heard that song What was the life. song? Something about the weekend. Was it Xanadu? Everybody's working for the weekend? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> So, um, crazy, crazy stuff. Well, I mean, you know, it'll all be better once he's, once no. the inauguration's there. And then they'll have no. the inauguration party. Then everyone will be like, okay, we accept it. No, they won't. Again. Trump's going to dance and that's going to ruin everything. Well, oh, <laughs> don't bring up dancing. Um, crazy, crazy stuff. We will take a break. When we come back, we're going to get with Joe Cannon, find out with from Joe what's going on around the rest or what's uh, going on in the political world back uh, back east, and what he thinks about the transition. Is it working? Is it? Is the, are they stumbling? What's going on there for real? We'll find out. Stick with us. Joe Cannon up next. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Well, Politics still in the air now as President-elect Trump is trying to uh, cobble together his new administration. And we, we always like to bring in Joe Cannon. We call him Joe in the know. He's currently the CEO of Fuel Freedom Foundation, was a candidate for U.S. Senate, served as an assistant administrator uh, in the EPA um, during the Reagan administration, and is was also the an editor of the Deseret News. And we like to just pick his brain, find out what he thinks about uh, everything political. Joe, thank you so much for being with us. How are you doing, my friend? Good, Matt. Thanks a lot for having me. You uh, having a? Did you have a good weekend? Had a very nice weekend, sure. Uh-huh. Did did uh, did you watch all of the visitors dropping by the Trump um, golf course <laughs> or New Jersey golf course? <laughs> what what do you think? I, I mean, some people are complaining that this is just a, you know it's just a show. All we do, one by one, we just keep seeing the next visitor. Is is this is this how this is done? Well, I would say it's probably rarely done this publicly that uh, everybody's watching who's going in and out of the tower and and who he's talking to. But the the transition itself is is working, you know, pretty well. He's he's already made some appointments uh, earlier than most presidents would. At least most presidents in this kind of a hmm. Party, you know, party to party transition. Yeah, um, which is uh, we probably ought to talk about it a little bit in a minute because this is significantly different from past party to party transitions. What do you mean by uh, party to party? Like from so Democratic one, party, one party to Republican party? Yeah, yeah, or vice versa. Yeah, right. So, so you've got uh, from I mean the analogs to this. I'm going to focus on Democrat to Republican because that's what we've got here. Yeah, obviously there have been. Republican to Democrat, which have also been very interesting to observe. I mean, watching Carter take over for Nixon uh, uh, was was interesting, but it's not as relevant as uh, as a Republican taking over from a Democrat administration. So you've got Eisenhower from Truman. Hmm. Uh, you've got Nixon from Johnson. Uh, anyway, we can delve into those if you want, but. Uh, you know, the, the, there are reports of chaos, there are reports of, you know, things not very clear. But I just, uh, by a weird coincidence, 
I happened to be in Washington last week and was at the transition offices in Washington. Uh, they're proceeding with a very clear direction, uh, notwithstanding the, the purge, so to speak, mm. of, the, of the Christie people. Uh, lots of people have been working on this since June of this year. And uh, albeit they were, I think, honestly, almost everybody, including people on the transition, were surprised. The fact is uh, that a lot has been going on preparing for this. What what do you say? What what happened with Christie? Where was his fall from grace? Was it Bridgegate? Was it? Oh no! Well, it may maybe that was part of it, but you know, Trump's son-in-law is a guy named Jared Kushner, the very smart, very savvy guy. But Jared Kushner's father went to prison, mm. uh, and the guy who put him in prison was a U.S. attorney named Chris Christie. <laughs> wow. So I don't think there's much confusion on what happened after the election uh, that, okay, you know, I think Kushner got his wish. Now, does that mean that, that Christie is dead, dead forever to Trump? No, but it's clear that uh, the Christie folks were purged out of the transition. Well, And, and that, most wow. people think, I don't, I don't have, you know, direct personal knowledge, but most people inside attribute it to the fact of uh, retribution, sort of the night of the long knives, Mm. with Kushner finally saying, okay, I'm done with this uh, Christie thing. I mean, he did put his dad in prison. Yeah, right. That's, I mean, that's, that's probably hard to forget. Um, But one of the things too, I guess, I mean, I'll never forget Chris Christie standing on the stage with his wife when Donald Trump made some comment about women or something, and his wife just cringed. Oh, yeah, was, Do you remember? Oh, yeah. That was one of the great scenes. No <laughs> question about it. And, and yet, and so Christie was kind of a noble servant through the election, got him or helped him get elected, I guess, to some point and degree, and then he's done. I guess that's politics? Yeah. Uh, that's politics. Like I say, it's not clear what that means. In the long run, for Chris Christie, right? You know, maybe maybe that plus Bridgegate uh, spikes him. But Trump has made a, a, a number of nice comments about Christie since the purge. So, okay, who knows what will happen down the road? What do you think way? about um, the choice of Bannon, uh, Steve Bannon, as the kind of a senior advisor, equal to Reince Priebus? Uh, yeah. you know the 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 the. Uh, just kind of the the head, what do they call him, the chief of staff? Well, Priebus is the chief of staff, yeah. and then you've got sort of this consigliere, Bannon. Uh, I know I've already talked to some of my Democrat friends, and they, they find this uh, comparison repugnant, but I'm still going to say it. You know, every president has had someone like Bannon. Now, we'll talk about what that means in a sec, but, you know, uh, the most feared person in the White House the last eight years is Valerie Jarrett who held essentially the same position. I mean, they might call it different things. Uh, In the Bush, W. Bush administration, there was a guy named Carl Rove. uh, Oh, yeah. So who had, again, a similar type title, but definitely a similar role. So, uh, you know, and and you can go back all the way back to Wilson had Colonel House. Uh, you, You had a whole bunch of people who were close to the president and didn't have a much of a formal 
title and certainly not formally in the structure. Now, Bannon himself, I, you know, it's, I don't know. First of all, I don't know him. I don't really know enough about him. I know what a lot of people say about him. Uh, he definitely is from the from the hardcore right, but also uh, not necessarily even a Republican. I mean, the, the Breitbart folks uh, went after Republicans as well as Democrats. So mm. uh, there was, an, and I'm sorry that I forgot who it was, but a pretty interesting piece in, in the um, uh, Washington Post on how Trump is the first, quote, independent, close quote, president, meaning almost like an, an independent. Right. A, a chuck of that has to do with uh, Bannon. Bannon, on the other hand, you know, is a you know, senior person at Goldman Sachs. He's a fairly wealthy entrepreneur. Uh, I think he went to Harvard, if not law school, undergraduate. I mean, his, his resume doesn't look like someone you would think would be this uh, crazy alt-right person. Right. So I don't know. What is clear is that he <clears throat> he and Kushner and, and Kellyanne Conway played, you know, a, a huge, huge role uh, in the victory of Donald Trump, that it wasn't just an accident. Uh, a lot of it came as a consequence of the planning between those three people. Does I mean, what's the draw, I, I guess, because you um, I think Laura Ingram, the people were saying she would be a great press secretary. But what's the draw to want to be in the presidency's cabinet or inner circle? I guess just power, because um, the prestige isn't necessarily the same as Laura Ingram keeping her job. It's not going to be the same money as her keeping as she is if she keeps her job. I mean. Do I guess a lot of people want to just be in this circle because they're they're Pauls and they they've been doing this forever. Is that and I guess a government cabinet position ends up becoming the highest form of opportunity or power. Well, I mean, there are different people are motivated differently. I mean, some people are genuinely motivated by public service. I would honestly say if, if Mitt Romney became the Secretary of State, I think that would be an active. Uh, deep public service on his part, given what he, you know, stated that he feels about the president. Yet, you know, there's a deep sense of public service. And I think that's true with quite a lot of people. Other people are just simply ambitious. Other people, uh, the, you know, they they are looking to their careers after, which Trump, who knows how this will hold up. But basically, Trump said, no, if you come into my administration, you cannot hmm. practice uh, before the administration for five years, which is significantly longer than it currently is, is one or two years, depending on the different circumstances. So there are some people who are just ambitious, want to want to work in Washington, and yeah. they're part of that policy apparatchik. Um, and then there are just people like the spoils, the old, we don't use that term as much these days as in the older days, but... Uh, there's sort of a certain spoils. We won, and I want a job. Hmm. You know, that's that explains a, a lot of it. So you have varying, that's interesting, varying motivations. So some are, I think, some are pretty well motivated. In this particular case, you have a very strong ideological. Uh, it's funny, Trump himself is not particularly ideological, but this transition is deeply ideological, and uh, in that in that sense, it's quite a bit different 
I just want to contrast a, a couple of transitions because I've observed both of them. It turns out I, I worked a little bit on the Reagan transition team in 1980. And what you saw there was you, you had this, everyone thought, a Republican conservative revolution sweeping in. But the people had their hands on the dials of uh, of the of the transition and of the implementation, guys like Jim Baker, perfectly acceptable, um, moderate establishment type person, was the chief of staff. Hmm. And in the early Reagan days and through the whole Reagan administration, had sort of this sub movement called "Let Reagan Be Reagan." So a lot of conservatives were saying, "Hey, we elected a, a, a conservative." But in a lot of respects, he's not very different from how Richard Nixon managed things. He, he was, by the way, in, in important ways. But there was a whole undertow of the uh, strong conservative saying, let Reagan be Reagan. There is nobody saying, let Trump be Trump. <laughs> Trump is Trump. <laughs> and he's, he's just going ahead. And, you know, despite all the angst and anxiety and and fear and criticism, mostly on the part of the press right now, he's doing just what he said he would do. Yeah. I mean, his first actual appointees are absolutely reflective of what he said he was going to do. And so no one should be surprised. Are they a hardliner, hardcore on defense and some cultural issues? Yeah. But, um, you know, no one should be surprised. The surprise is, is that when mm-hmm. Reagan was elected, he did kind of moderate uh, in terms of a lot of his domestic policy um, appointment appointees. Mm, yeah, and and, and let, let's take a break. We'll come back. I'd love to talk about Sessions because now they're saying you know they're going to push him hard uh, on the Senate um, from the Senate as they you know as they have to go through those hearings. Also, want to take his uh, Joe's take on um, Mitt Romney. Is that a good pick for Secretary of State? Interesting, uh, interesting stuff, folks. This is, this is, I guess, how it works. You choose a president, the president chooses 4,000 employees. It's a big job, huge transition, and we're, we get to, to have a little front row action on it. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends. Little Bob Dylan for you. Political world, that means Joe Cannon is with us. Joe in the know, we call him. He's a good friend of the show, and uh, just like we like to pick his brain, find out if what we see going on from the outside is really what uh, is is really what's going on on the inside. Joe seems to have some well-connected friends, and we pick his brain. That's all we do here. No big deal. Joe, welcome back, my friend. Thanks, Matt. So... The uh, what do you think? What do you think of Mitt Romney as Secretary of State? Do you think that he'll get the nod there? Um, and what do you think about some of the others that he, that have been paraded through over the last few days? Yeah, well, Mitt would be such a fabulous appointee at the state. He would just be great. I mean, his specialty is fixing broken things. And there are a lot of things broken at the State Department. I mean, how many people at the State Department knew about illegal servers mm. and nobody said anything? You know, so I mean, there are, there are things that need to be fixed at the, just a little, you know, the bureaucratic level. 
but also a, a strong presence. I mean, if you remember, Mitt was just ridiculed for talking about the importance of Russia. Right. And, uh, you know, guess what? Who was right and who was wrong? Nailed it. Who tried, who tried to re quote, reset the Russian relationship with just kind of embarrassing uh, results. So Mitt would be perfect for that. Uh, it would also be, say, a lot to, to a big chunk of the Republican Party uh, who would be like to be healed and like to be sort of brought in. And he would be emblematic of that. If, if, like, if nothing else, just the fact of choosing him. I think even the fact of visiting with him, you know, you have all kinds of threats on all sides of this who say, well, it was just cynical on Trump's part. And what's Mitt doing? Kissing the ring and, mm. uh, you know, all of this stuff. The fact is, Trump didn't have to talk to Mitt Romney. Right. Whatever his reasons might have been, he didn't he didn't have to. And he did. And I thought that was a pretty constructive uh, reach. And if he, in fact, appointed him, it would just be dynamite. I mean, if he appointed, I don't know if this could ever happen, but if he appointed Mitt as secretary and John Bolton as the assistant or deputy secretary, uh, you'd have a really interesting hmm. set of people in the State Department. But I, I doubt that that particular combination would actually happen. So, yeah, no, I think it, it was wonderful that he met with Mitt. I think they were both gracious. They both said gracious things after Pence, who was apparently in the meeting part of the time, uh, even after the meeting, hinted, yeah, there's, there's certainly a possibility that Mitt would be uh, Secretary of State. And if that, if that happened, it would be a really wonderful, and I would say even on Trump's part, a, a noble noble thing is is he building the team like i mean he's building the team based on what he said he was going to do and it looks very much like like you know on immigration for example uh, jeff sessions senator sessions um has been tagged uh as attorney general does does it seem like he's building the team that can drain the swamp well so big question whether the swamp I'm putting quotes around that, yeah. whatever that is, however that's defined, could be another quotes around the word drained. You know, there's a lot of definition around each of those words and right. and what it means. So I, I don't know. Washington is Washington. There's a, there's a really uh, strong bureaucratic inertia uh, that is hard to overcome. Having said that, Trump is being whatever you believed about him. He's appointing exactly the kind of people that he said he would. Mm. So it's hard to have a more hardline guy on immigration than Jeff Sessions. Is that is? I mean, again, the, the he'll have to pass through Senate, the Senate, um, and is that? Do you think there's going to be a battle there? Well, uh, one of the huge and and almost not understood, even by all the participants, difference between this transition and the Reagan transition is you have a Republican Senate, a Republican House, and a Republican president. So there's no actual, uh, I'll call it juridical check. There's no structural check on what the Democrats uh, can do to stop change, obstruct, or whatever it is the president wants. Mm. Whereas the House of Representatives, uh, in the embodiment of, in the embodiment of John Dingell, Henry Waxman, and many others, 
really did a lot of, a lot to stop a lot of the things Reagan wanted to do. Now they did some things. They famously got along on budget issues, at least initially. Um, so uh, not having that check, the only thing that the Democrats have is what can they do in the Senate to uh, stop these nominees? And, you know, uh, unfortunately for them, Harry Reid set the precedent of saying, okay, we're not going to, we're going to bust the filibuster rule. We're going to let, um, we're, we're not going to let the Republicans filibuster uh, candidates. So that's going to come back to bite them. Now, how that actually plays out in cabinet secretary, it depends on, on what they decide to do, but I don't think they're going to, they, the Republican leadership in the Senate is going to stand for a lot of obstruction by, via the filibuster. Mm. The filibuster is a rule. The filibuster is a rule. It's not a it's not a right. Yeah, mandate. It's it's and we've already seen um, Harry Reid sort of bust that rule. And I think you're going to find uh, Republicans doing a, a lot the same. There's huge pressure on them to do that. What do you think uh, how, about the job President Obama is doing? He seems to be saying in a way. Give President-elect Trump some time. Get him. Let him. Let him do something first. Oh, it's it's not even in a way. I, I listened to almost all of his press conference last night, uh, and he just said, "Let's give him a chance." I mean, there's no. I think he's playing this as straight up as you, you can. I think he's actually maybe even pretty noble in this. He's you know obviously people in his party are devastated, mm. and he's saying. Look, the guy was elected. There was an election, uh, as to quote himself, which he said many times. Elections have consequences. This election is going to have consequences. But let's see how he governs once he knows everything that you know when you become president. Yeah. I, I think President Obama's done a pretty creditable job, uh, and especially it's got to be tough because it's not like Trump has been uh, oh, hidden no. in his desire to destroy whatever it is. Uh, whatever legacy uh, President Obama has. So I think he's been he's been gracious and pretty noble. What? Because that that has got to be so hard to know so much of your legislation or executive ordering or changes that you've made could be undone so quickly. Well, there are two structural things that Democrats did. One we mentioned already was the uh, weakening the filibuster rule. I think that will come back to hurt them. And also, what you could do by executive order can be undone by executive order. Hmm. So anything, anything that uh, President Obama did by executive order could be, and my guess likely will be, undone on day one. On January 20th, you'll see a flurry, maybe you'll just see one executive order revoking X number of executive orders. But you're definitely going to see changes at the executive order level. And then after that, you're going to see legislative changes. You're going to see administrative law changes. You're going to see a lot of changes, all of which are possible with the House, Senate, uh, Republican majorities. Does, I, I guess, um, the Democrats eight years ago had, didn't they have the Senate? Didn't they have um the legislature didn't they have everything and the presidency and they didn't quite they didn't get much done during their two years of having the full 
the full well, they deal. Did. They, they did get Obamacare done. Yeah. And uh, I think uh, various Democrats have opined on whether that was the right thing or not. I'm not talking substantively on Obamacare per se, but was was it the right thing for President Obama to put all of his bullets, all of his energy behind that one thing and, and ignoring some other things? Because you, know, you can't, you know, happily, because of the framers and, and just because of uh, sort of the rules of life, you cannot have all power to do all things at any one time. President Obama made a very clearly strategic decision to pursue uh, health care, and he did. But that, you know, almost, um, you know, just so such focused attention on that one thing diverted attention from other things, such as immigration, uh, other, uh, such as other sort of tax things that he wanted to do, things that you just couldn't do all things at all times. Mm. So he had that window of time. He chose that window of time to do Obamacare. And... Um, some Democrats think that, that he paid a price for that by not doing other things when he had exactly the same opportunity then that Donald Trump has at least in the first two years. And for what it's worth, probably four years. I, I, I know of no pundit who thinks that there's a chance that the House will turn in two years. And, and the Democrats are defending many, many seats. I think something like 15 seats. Well, they're defending more than that, 25, but 15 of the seats are in uh, states that Trump did very well in. So uh, I don't see the Senate changing. Hmm. On the other hand, nobody saw many of the things happening that already did happen. Yeah. So we, we might be <laughs> wrong yet again. Yeah, I'm sure. But it's, it's pretty likely that President-elect Trump is going to have a Republican House and a Republican Senate for the next four years. Wow. I mean, that is so. So what advice would you give him if he brought you in, Joe? What advice would you give him over the next, you know, two years at least with Republican Congress, Senate to to not make similar mistakes of past administrations? Well, boy, what advice would I give him? He definitely has an agenda. A lot of that agenda, of course, I personally agree with. I try on the program here, I try to be you know, uh, pretty bipartisan and seeing both sides of things. But there's some things that that he could do that would have long term, very beneficial uh, results. So he could attack the the regulatory state that a lot of people talk about. There's just this huge buildup of uh, regulatory force on the part of unelected bureaucrats who really are very responsive to anybody but their own sense of their own mandate. Hmm. And and I think Congress will figure out a way to reassert control over that process with the help of uh, President-elect Trump. So that's one area that I think he'll focus on that you'll see pretty pretty quick results. Uh, what he's doing in, in, these appoint, in the appointees, which is a little different, is I mean, he's appointing very, very strong people, whether you agree with them or not. And there's you know, definitely room for disagreement on some of these appointees, but they're very strong. And I think his style, it appears to be his style, is, okay, I'm going to appoint these people, let them go do their jobs and figure out what they're supposed to do. Yeah, yeah. So I think um, I think you're going to see that in, you know, uh, in very 
you know, strong relief. Mm. Isn't it? It's, I mean, it really, again, elections, elections have consequences. Uh, what would, what are we missing, Joe? Give us uh, the, the one thing we haven't talked about that we should be paying attention to. Well, I would just say, I, I alluded to early on, uh, there is a strong philosophical ideological component to this transition that has been missing in, or is not missing, not fully uh, had the full strength in past uh, Democrat to Republican administrations. So a lot of the same people that were involved in the Reagan administration are at the policy level, Reagan transition at the policy level, are involved in this transition at the policy level, and they don't want to make the same, quote, mistakes, close quote, that that uh, they think that President Reagan made. So a lot of these folks are the let Reagan be Reagan types are now uh, kind of staffing up the policy apparatus mm. of the Trump transition. And I think that uh, it's going to be really interesting to see how this all plays out. And we'll know a lot. I think even today we're going to see some more, some more announcements. And um, uh, the, the whole process inside is a lot more disciplined, A, than it looks, or B, than it's being reported as. Right. It's just pretty, pretty disciplined what they're doing. Is that the media just, what, still venting frustration? I mean, because we keep hearing well, it's out of control, it's slowed down, it's bogged down, it's a parade. The David Axelrod, who is, you know, nobody's conservative. Right. And a big consigliere to uh, President Obama, just trashed that idea. said, look, they're making appointments earlier, faster, with more certainty than anybody in, in kind of modern memory in hmm. these kind of party-to-party transitions. So I think he he he's a pretty keen observer, and he's saying, no, no, they're, they're – of course, he doesn't agree with anything that's happening. Right, right. To say, to say that it's chaotic is to not see what is actually happening. And by the way, there, there's sort of two transitions. There's whatever's happening up in, at Trump Tower with people coming in and out, but – the real guts of the transition is in Washington, D.C., in the transition offices. And that's where they're looking at the policies, the procedures, those 4,000 people that you talked about. All of those folks are being vetted in, uh, in Washington, D.C., and that is a very disciplined setup right now. Mm, man, handover of government. It's, it's quite a feat anyway. Joe Cannon, thank you so much for your great insights. Again, uh, you can go to fuelfreedom.org to find out more about Joe's work in trying to lower your fuel costs uh, here in the United States. He's a great resource for us as well. We appreciate him. We'll take a break, come back, wrap up hour number one of the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. We'll be back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, never an easy thing, these uh, these presidential transitions. But we look at it, too. Uh, half the nation didn't like the decision. Half the nation liked the decision. We, we just have to figure out a way to come together still. We have to figure out a way. And maybe President Obama's got it right where he says, give him a chance. Give him some time. Let him prove what he really is, what he's really thinking about, and uh, then you can, you know, hate it, I guess. 
Um, in the end, though, it's it's your country still, and we are all still beneficiaries, and we get to suffer the problems of it as well. But let's look after each other, man. We don't have to we don't have to fight everything, and people are scared, people are hurting. So reach out, open up, be abundant, be more caring. Let's watch out for each other. Not so divisive. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on the side. Top of the morning to you. It is the week before Thanksgiving. And all through the house. Actually, it's the week of Thanksgiving. It's the it is the week of Thanksgiving, and all through the house, not a creature was stirring, <laughs> except a grouse. I would, yeah, or a game hen. I'm not in the mood to talk today. Why? Well, we had a traumatic event at my kid's school. Uh, two of his friends died in a car accident. So that was pretty a, a very sad weekend, but um, it's it's just Monday, and everyone out there knows that feeling you get on a Monday when you're thinking, "Oh boy, I got thirty things to do, and I've got no time to do them because it's a short week." Right, boy. I have a new flavor of Oreos. Oh, do you? I could brighten the day a little bit. Okay, well we'll have to get to that. Apparently, the price of Thanksgiving has dropped. A little bit. Excellent. The price of a traditional Thanksgiving See, meal. See, the Trump legacy is already hitting. There you go. Welcome to Trump's America. Um, we will be talking also about the worst way to talk to your children about their weight. What not to say, how not to say it, what – if you don't want – you could destroy their psyche forever. You know what you shouldn't do? You shouldn't do what Taya Leone did in the movie Spanglish. What did she do? She got her daughter clothes that were too small for her. Really? To make her... Motivated to fit in them. Oh, wow. Yeah, you don't do that. So she gives her the clothes. (laughs) The daughter's eyes just light up. Oh, I love them. And then she looks at the size and realizes she's not going to fit in them. Yeah. She's not a very good person in this movie. No. No, 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 no. Um, so we will go through that with an expert on – because one little thing that you say right now could easily just stick in the head of uh, your child for a very long time and impact their, their eating habits, even in, even creating eating disorders down the road. We'll get to that. Plus also a woman's home where they found a tigers, cougars, and a skunk. Craziness. Plus it's World Television Day. I can't watch this. Mm-mm. This is the day we celebrate this. television. According to the UN General Assembly, TV is such an impact on our lives that in 1996, this. the UN General Assembly said, 
There's a TV day. TV World TV Day. This is even Weird Al Yankovic. He even he even made it a point. You can't watch this. Holy cow, bringing back some memories. Uh, plus, it's World Hello Day. This is the day that if you're Adele, this is the moneymaker or the Beatles. So, say hello. How do you say hello in Russian? What's that? How do you say hello in Russia? Privyet is the uh, less formal way. Or you could say Zdrastutye, whichever one's easier. I like the first one. Yeah. Uh, buenos dias in Espanol. How do you say it in Texan? Hi. Hi. Have you ever had Hi, a phone, Have you ever had a phone conversation like this where somebody keeps saying goodbye and you keep trying to say hello? No. Like you keep trying to hang up. No. I, I just want to keep talking. Yeah, no. I just hang up. Just done. Okay, bye. Hang it up. Um, crazy, crazy stuff. We are going to uh, let's get to the headlines. Sadie's out today with a head cold or some kind of cold. So who better to fill in on the uh, news desk than Terry South, our very own news anchor? Terry, what's going on around the rest of the country? A police officer was killed in Texas and another wounded in Missouri in apparent unrelated ambush-style shootings, while a third officer was shot and wounded in Florida, authorities said on Monday. The latest attacks on U.S. law enforcement revive painful memories of deadly ambushes targeting police in July in Dallas and in Baton Rouge. Manhunt underway for the suspect who killed the officer in San Antonio, while the suspect in Missouri shooting died in a shootout with authorities. President-elect Donald Trump's favorability has grown by nine points since the election. A uh, political morning consult poll out Monday revealed Trump now has a favorability standing of about 46% of registered voters, up from 37% right before the election. Meanwhile, the percentage of registered voters with an unfavorable opinion of Trump has dropped 15 points from 61 to 46. Hmm. Nine days after the public humiliation of being replaced as the head of Trump's presidential transition, Chris Christie on Sunday showed up among the parade of potential Trump administration job seekers to meet with the president-elect at his New Jersey golf course. Christie spent a half an hour with the president-elect, asked if there would be a place for Christie in his administration. Trump did not exactly say yes. Instead, he declared Christie a very talented man who is also really smart and tough. We like him a lot. No answer. Apparently there was a uh, what concern over the effort Christie was making to get to the front of group photographs with the president-elect. Really? I've been reading that in several places. Pokemon Go. This is our final news because okay. so it's always important. All right, yeah. you're, you're an avid Pokemon Go player. I can't get enough of it. Apparently most people have just given up on it. But they're trying to uh, get people excited again. For Thanksgiving, they are offering standard or double the standard experience points and extra stardust in the game. You also get extra oh, man. extra features if you interact with certain Pokemon. Tempting. So it's very tempting to get back into Pokemon Go, but I think most have moved on. If I had a dollar for every time Jeff says, I want extra stardust, I'd be a millionaire. You're addicted. Uh, no comment. <laughs> <laughs> he likes himself. He likes some uh, some of that Stardust stuff. Hey, um, this the they're one by one. They just keep parading more and more possible cabinet picks, and the press apparently thinks the Trump, uh, you know, transition is slow. It's not. It's it's not productive. But 
it, it's moving faster than President Clinton's did. I was reading just a few minutes ago, President Clinton's first term, he, uh, as we were just talking with Joe Cannon about, transition from you know, one party to the other, it takes time. President Clinton took uh, till December 22nd to make his appointments. Wow. So it was almost Christmas. Yeah, it's, and here it, we are to Thanksgiving, and it's just too slow. And I'll bet you there will be some names announced this week again, more because D- Donald knows how to draw the press out. So no. he'll draw this out for the next six weeks till the big inauguration. He's already uh, um, he he already has another cabinet member. Hmm. It's it's uh, you know while President Elect was busy meeting with potential cabinet members over the weekend, the head of the new Department of Interior, Decorator, was hard at work designing one of the White House's most important rooms. Here's Phyllis Philly forthright giving reporters a taste of things to come. Thank you for visiting with me today. I'd like to give you all a brief tour of the first and possibly the most important room in the White House. Now, despite what Donnie, that's what I called Mr. Trump, Donnie, we're close, darling. Whatever Donnie may have said during the election, he's really quite a humble man. And contrary to popular belief, and I am sorry to disappoint you, there will not be any gold thrones in the Oval Office. No, 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 no. These will be in the bathroom instead. And, of course, I'm talking about the toilets. You see, Donnie is sending a message that he is the same as everyone else. He's a very humble man, and so humility is going to be the theme of these bathrooms from the bathroom's usage policy. Anyone who visits the White House can use these gold toilets to the functionality of the toilets themselves. Now, what you see here is a Giovanni Gabinetti toilet, or netti, as we in the business like to call them. Now, listen to the flush of this netti. That, of course, is from the theme song to Donnie's show, The Apprentice. Now, with this flush tone, Donnie wants to make sure that he never forgets his humble beginnings as a reality show host. Overall, we're keeping things in these bathrooms simple. Instead of five steps ascending up to the gold toilets, we're only putting in three. Instead of three-ply TP, we're only doing two-ply. And we've downsized the restroom attendant staff to just one attendant, and his name is Baron. We'll be sharing some of the other plans for the White House as I design them. Thank you all for visiting with me in my humble Malibu bungalow. Wow. Hmm. Philly forthright. The new... Only only Donald can call her Philly, though. Oh, sorry. sorry. Phyllis. Yes. Phyllis Forthright. Forthright. The uh, new, I guess, secretary of the interior decorator. Right. I didn't even know that was a I thing. Did not either, I did not know <laughs> that. So she's, I guess, has to, you know, redecorate the entire White House. The gold th- throne thing, they're only in the bathrooms. See, some people thought he'd have like a throne, like a, a king, a dictator. But everyone has access to those gold thrones. You get on the public tour, you get access to the public gold throne toilet. Mm-hmm. That's great. I love the flush tone. 
I didn't know that's what you called those. It's kind of a new thing, actually. Yeah. I if thought, you go to like RC Willie or Sears, they're they're all the rage now. The flesh tone. Flesh tones. Because it's I, I've heard of a I've heard of a flesh tone. Like, hey, well, that's the color of flesh, you know, flesh tone. I've never heard of a flesh tone. That was neat. Mm-hmm. Money, 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 money. It's great. Well, money. I think it's fantastic. And I, I'm glad we could get her. Miss Phyllis Forthright. And she dares call him Donnie. They're he, very close. You could tell. Yeah. You could tell. Oh, I'm telling you. Hey, uh, crazy story out of um, Houston, Texas. You know, you've heard of the cat lady before. Lions and tigers and well, police conducting an investigation found exotic and dangerous animals in a Houston area home where a woman lived with a child. Houston Police Department officers said they were sent to investigate Trisha Meyer's home after she tried selling a kitten to a man in California for $3,000, but never gave him the kitten after she received the money. When officers arrived at the home, they found several wild animals all roaming freely inside Meyer's home, including three tigers, a cougar, a skunk, and a fox. So instead of lions and tigers and bears, it's tigers and cougars and skunks. Oh, my. And a fox. They also said Meyer's 14-year-old daughter was in the home during the time police uh, uh, had arrived. Meyer told police she had several monkeys, which can be vicious and attack someone previously, police said. Police said she had permits for the tigers, but none for the skunks and the foxes. Who would have known? Do you even know that you need a permit for a skunk? Uh, yes. You should always have a permit for a skunk. Well, I had a friend that just hit a skunk. No permit required. <laughs> he's going to need a permit to go into work, though. No, now that. he's going to need – he is. He's cleaning his car. Uh, Florida man hitchhikes across the United States with his goat. This is in the animal news, of course. After hitchhiking across the country for two years with his goat named Deer, Eric Brown has returned to Florida. He arrived on Wednesday, his 30th birthday, and slept outside with his goat. Travel, he said, with a goat can be limiting. It's uh, really crazy sometimes having a goat, says Brown. It limited me. I can't get a hotel. I can't get on the bus with a goat. Over the last two years, he's been to California, Seattle, Colorado, Tennessee, and most recently Washington, D.C. He and a buddy ran for president of the United States. He didn't win? How many miles would you walk with a goat? Not 500. Not 500. Not not 5,000. He says, but that's a dream. Uh, being the president was a dream that's going to take a lot longer to reach. In eight years, he hopes to be in the White House. First, he wants to get his driver's license back, though. I was confused. When I read this story, I didn't know if it was talking about the guy that owned the goat or if it was the goat that wanted to run for president. Oh, yeah, I think it's the guy. Stranger things have happened. Yeah, I mean... Who would have thought that a reality TV star could be the president of the United States? First a TV star, next a man and his goat. How great, too. That's a twofer. They kept saying if President Clinton won, Hillary Clinton, President Clinton and Hillary would be in the White House, you'd get two for one. Here, you'd get a president uh, if the goat owner, Eric Brown, won. Plus, you'd get a goat to mow the lawn. Right? (laughs) To take care of the garden. 
Mrs. Obama's garden. First, he wants his driver's license back, though, and he's got to get another vehicle so that he can travel easier across country. It's hard. You need a goat carrier. You know, I, I see people getting on airplanes now with dogs. Just yeah, why not a carrier? Goats? Why not a goat? I don't understand the big deal. Until mm. that goat is like eating your neighbor's blanket. Crazy stuff, folks. Hey, we got a lot to talk about today. About uh, Today we're going to talk about how the worst way you can talk to your children about their weight. More and more children are gaining weight uh, with um, this epidemic, this obesity epidemic that's hitting us. And we got to know how to say, how to talk healthy for our kids. How do we do it without impacting their head, their mind, their psyche forever? Stick with us, folks. Interesting topic coming up. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you live longer and love stronger. We'll be right back. A recent article about the link between parents' weight comments and child a child's body dissatisfaction and weight gain sparked a major debate among the Huffington Post readers. Disagreement centered over the balance between concern for a child's health and the psychological and physical damage that can result from cruel or clueless comments about weight. One theme, however, kept popping up over and over again in the reader's comments. People who had been hurt in childhood by cruel weight comments and comments about their weight are now resolved to spare their children from the self-loathing and the disordered um, eating struggles that they had to deal with as kids. Here with us today is Dr. Diane Newmark-Steiner, Mayo professor and head of the Division of Epidemiology and Community Health at the School of Public Health at the University of Minnesota. Dr. Uh, Steiner, thank you so much for being with us today. You're welcome. It's a pleasure to be here. What, um, boy, this really, I, I think, opened up a super important discussion about our children and weight and also how we communicate with them. How, talk to us about, were you shocked, were you surprised by the impact it had on the Huffington Post readers? You know, this is a huge topic, and I've been working in this field for about 30 years, so I'm not surprised. You knew, Um, yeah. But but it's been an evolution, and, you know, in, in my work, because I come into contact with so many young people and their families, I know that there is a struggle because parents want to help their children be healthy, be at a weight that's healthy for them, and also help them to feel good about themselves and their bodies. Mm. So that's where our research has gone in trying to address what parents can do to promote a healthy body image, a healthy weight, and prevent any of the unhealthful consequences that we sometimes see. You um, you wrote a book about it as well. Uh, the book is, I'm Like So Fat, Helping Your Teen Make Healthy Choices and eating and exercise in weight-obsessed world. How, what are some of the things you've learned from the study about our children and their eating habits? So this book um, I wrote because there were so many books about, you know, dieting mm. and giving unhealthful, unhealthy advice um, not based on fact. So I wrote this book based on our research, primarily our research study, Project EAT, 
eating and activity among teens, and our teens have now become young adults because we've been following them for 15 years as they have their own families. Hmm. And I was interested in finding if there are shared risk and protective factors for both excessive weight gain and disordered eating over time. So disordered eating behaviors are behaviors such as binge eating or unhealthy or extreme weight control behaviors. What did you find? Well, we found that being teased about your weight by your family or by friends, but particularly by your family, predicts both the onset of disordered eating behaviors and is a very strong predictor of weight gain over time. Similarly, we found that being dissatisfied with your body predicts weight gain over time. We know it predicts disordered eating and eating disorders, but the idea um, that that a parent or a teacher might want to motivate a child to to lose weight through making them not feel so great about their body is not going to work. It's going to backfire. Mm. And finally, we have found that weight loss diets, going on a diet with the intention of losing weight, is a very strong predictor of weight gain, not weight loss over time. Wow. So, I mean, those are so, some huge findings. They're huge findings, and they're consistent, you know, across analyses, across cohorts. And um, so the conclusion from this is that some well, excuse me, (coughs) oh, excuse me, some well-intentioned comments and behaviors are very likely to backfire. Man, so, because you can, yeah, you can just tell that it's almost like parents don't know what to do. So then... You know, they use their humor and their charm and they tease or they they try to persuade them, you know, you'll feel better about your body. You won't have this. You won't have that. Uh, Then they're displeased with their body or they push the diet, all three of which you've been able to validate that uh, are going to just increase disordered eating and other problems. Yep, absolutely. So in my book, I make four recommendations for parents. And I call them the four cornerstones for mm. promoting a healthy weight and a positive body image in your child. Let's go through some of those. Find out okay. what we should be doing. Okay, sounds good. So the first one is to model healthy behaviors for your children. So really to be a role model for the types of behaviors we want to see in our children. And I should note that in addition to being a researcher, um, I am also a mother of four. So I put these, these, these practices to work. Mm. Um, So what does that mean, healthy behaviors? And in my mind, that means staying away from dieting, engaging in physical activity that you enjoy doing, and model healthy but not perfect eating behaviors. So eat a lot of fruits and vegetables, eat a lot of whole grains, but also eat dessert. And when you eat dessert, eat a little bit, and afterwards say that was really delicious, Hmm. as opposed to saying, you know, oh, I feel so guilty. I shouldn't have eaten that. I feel so stuffed. You yeah. Know, good, good, um, good things to remember before Thanksgiving. <laughs> Absolutely. And also, you, you were saying, but exercise, doing something you like. How many times have we seen or heard somebody exercise and you know they hate it? They hate everything about it. And they become almost the martyr of this whole process. You're saying model that these are normal, healthy behaviors and that they're good. You like it. Yeah. Yeah, so it's a difference, you know, between getting on a, getting on a machine and seeing how many calories you can burn up, 
or finding something that you really like to do and can do on an ongoing basis that has numerous benefits for your health. So I, for example, I love doing yoga, so I do a lot of yoga. It doesn't have to do with weight. It has to do with with how I feel, how my body feels afterwards. Other people might like to go for a walk or go for a run, whatever it is, go dancing, something that, that you enjoy doing. I love that. And um, I, I guess that's part of the key is you're not dieting. You're just eating healthier. Yeah. And you're modeling, the goal is modeling the behavior. Excellent. Give us another one. What's one more before we take a break? The second one is provide an environment that makes it easy for your children to make healthy choices. So um, I like to say, do more, talk less. Do more to make it easy for your child to engage in healthy eating and physical activity and talk less about it. One of the things that our research in Project Eat has really explored is family meals. And we, we kind of stumbled into this area of research, and it emerged as such a strong protective factor for eating behaviors, for disordered eating, and for a range of, of um, psychosocial variables. Um, so we've looked at that. We've, we've found the importance of eating together as frequently as possible as a family and making the family meal an enjoyable place. So it's not the place to bring up difficult topics. You know, don't talk about the elections. Don't, if it's going to lead to, you know, a fight, talk about it if it's not. (laughs) Don't make comments about a child eating too much food. You know, try to stay away from um, nagging children about chores or or homework. Really, you know, make, it doesn't mean these topics can never come up, but trying to, to make the family meal a place where people want to be, where they come together, where they share the events of their day, where they share things that are going on in their lives. Where it's, yeah, but positive. Yep, yep. And it's interesting, positive, a positive experience around food um, without talking about food. It's just... It's powerful. Um, We're learning as much as we can right now from Dr. Diane Newmark-Steiner. She is walking us through Project EAT and some of the research that has come come out of the uh, Project EAT uh, program and research. She is teaching us about eating, activity, and teens and blowing up some myths about what you should do, what you shouldn't be saying and doing um, when it comes to your child's weight loss. Stick with us, folks. They're just kids. And sometimes we might mean well, but uh, we might be doing it a little backwards. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you live longer, love stronger, healthier lives. We'll be back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Joining us on the phone, Dr. Diane Newmark-Steiner, who is a Mayo professor and head of the Division of Epidemiology and Community Health in the School of Public Health. She's an adjunct professor in the Department of Pediatrics as well, both at the University of Minnesota. And her research focuses on adolescent nutrition and the prevention of weight-related problems, including eating disorders, unhealthy weight control behaviors, body dissatisfaction, and obesity. Today, she's also focusing on the fact that as parents, a lot of, um, I mean, how we parent, how we choose to address these issues may very well be part of the problem 
with our children as well. We appreciate you, Dr. Diane Newmark-Steiner. Thank you for being with us. You're welcome. Talk more. Um, you were going through the cornerstones. Cornerstone one, model healthy behavior. So instead of, you know, instead of spending a lot of time talking, we ought to be modeling what healthy uh, eating is like and healthy lifestyle is like, enjoying our food, um, even enjoying dessert, not not pushing everything as a diet. Uh, also, you say provide an environment, um, which is where we eat together, make it a positive experience. What are some of the other cornerstones? What else do we need to be worried about? So in my book, um, the third one that I write about is focus less on weight. Instead, focus on behaviors and overall health. So if you have a child who is interested in losing weight or going on a diet, talking about going on a diet, I really encourage you to steer the conversation away from weight or avoid bringing it up yourself, and instead placing it on overall health, overall behaviors. Well, all of us want to be engaging in healthy eating. All of us want to be physically active. You know, one of the, the, the comments that I often hear is, well, I have one skinny child and one fat child. Ugh. So what, what do I do? And, you know, granted, there are some differences in children's appetites, and, you know, parents do sometimes do need to modify their behaviors for different children. But in general, I say you do the same thing. The same foods are healthy for both children. And, you know, take that as, as your default plan. Is this different uh, with young women versus young men? What, how we would go about um, talking about this? I mean, because it, 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 or is this, are these just great principles overall? These are great principles of overall. We do find that that girls are much more likely to be dissatisfied with their bodies and um, and engage in, in dieting and unhealthy weight control behaviors than boys. However, boys are certainly also engaging in these behaviors. And what we are also seeing, again, both in girls and boys, but more in boys, is the use of muscle-enhancing mm. behaviors. Right, right. So, so it's a concern for both. The That's only great. thing um, that that I was going to say under this point is to really establish a no tolerance policy for weight teasing at home, and that goes for girls and boys. What we have seen in our research is that um, children of all shapes and sizes get teased, but girls who are, have a higher weight are most likely to be teased, and boys who are at a um, a lower weight are yeah. more likely to be teased. You know, and this teasing isn't isn't always done um, intentionally to hurt someone. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it's done just as a joke, and it's it's not funny. It really hurts. It hurts children, and they may not say it. They they may laugh. So you may think they think it's funny, but we really need to know that it's not. And just like we wouldn't make comments about people's race, about their sex, um, about their sexual identity, we, we do not want to make comments about their weight, their physical appearance, their height that, that we think is funny, that, that really may be hurtful. Mm. It really, there's, and this is coming, this could be coming from your mom or your dad, and that doesn't go away. Yeah, or your siblings. Right, right. Or your aunt or your grandmother. It could be anyone. Mostly everyone can remember something that someone said to them that was hurtful. If you take a moment and think about it and, you know, think probably 
well, it may have been intended that way, but it may not have been. And, you know, but we remember those things. They, yeah. they, they live in our bones. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you, um, you, you mentioned it in your study that the home should be a sanctuary from yeah. this type of pressure. Yeah. They already yeah. feel it outside. Yeah, yeah. Powerful. You know, I, I think in general, um, like I said before, I raised four children, and I was always trying to get my children to do more and study more and be more active. And at some point I thought, you know, everyone's working so hard at school, outside of the home. At, at, in the home, let's just let it be a peaceful place. And it didn't, it, it didn't lead to less productivity. It led to just a more peaceful environment mm. and I think gave, gave everyone strength. What's the fourth cornerstone? The fourth one is to provide a supportive environment with lots of talking and even more listening. And um, this, this is across the board for, for our children, in particular our children when they're during their adolescent stage. Um, what I'm talking about in particular here is when a child comes to you because they've been mistreated because of their weight, because someone has said something, because they've been excluded from a sport, because they're, they're too short or they're too fat or whatever it may be, that is not the time to offer weight loss advice. <laughs> um, that is a time to just listen, to hear them out, to let your child know that you love them no matter what, and you are there to support them. How do you, um, how do you influence other family members? I'm thinking of adult to adult. If if there's an aunt that always makes a comment, how how can I go about influencing them to maybe even just read your research? Yeah, so I actually write about that in my book because often that does happen. There's a grandmother, there's a right. aunt. Well, one is to to give them something to read. You know, that yeah. would be relevant. Um, I find that there are a number of ways to do it. One is you can confront that person on their own. So if it's someone with whom your child has a lot of contact, you know, you can say to them, like let's say it was my mother or my sister, I could say, you know what, when you're at our house, I really need you to avoid bringing up topics related to weight. Okay, so you address it ahead of time without your child being there. Mm -hmm. Um, That can take a lot of courage. Yeah. Another way would be when the comment is made, you're ready on the spot. So in front of your child, you know, let's say someone makes a comment, you just say, we don't talk about that in our house, or we're, we're avoiding talking about weight. We've changed our ways. So you confront that person um, on the spot in front of your child in a calm but firm way, and that way your child witnesses how that can be done. Yeah. The third strategy if you think neither of those are going to happen, is to talk to your child about it and just say, you know what, we know that so-and-so engages in this kind of conversation. She's not going to change. You know, we'll see. If we want, we can speak up about it. Otherwise, we're just going to ignore it. Mm. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah. so those are kind of the three, and I, I guess my preference would be the first one, then the second, and then the third. Was uh, And I guess that was part of the Huffington Post discussion is, some people are saying, well, yeah, now – so you're really not even addressing it. But part of what this is about is you are addressing weight Absolutely. with your child, but you're doing it really by modeling, not by talking as much as you can. The thing is is that people need to know that their activities, their actions, which are meant to be helpful – such as talking about dieting, talking about their own weight concerns, encouraging a child to diet, 
those activities are going to be counterproductive. They're going to increase that child's risk either for weight gain over time or in some cases for the onset of a very serious eating disorder. So we want to avoid those actions. And that's what people need to hear. Not that we're just letting it go, that we're ignoring it, but we're addressing it in a different, a smarter, a potentially more harmful, and a for sure less, a potentially more helpful and a for sure less harmful way. And that's by modeling the behaviors that we want them to see exhibiting, talking positively about our own bodies and taking the focus off of the weight, placing it on healthful behaviors and on overall identity. I mean, particularly with our children and our adolescent children, they're developing their identity. We want it to be a positive one. We want them to be strong and smart and engage in right actions in the world. Yeah. What What is the what, – what, what do we – determine is the age of adolescence <laughs> because I know there's been discussion about yeah. that kind of they're aging they're turning into older adolescents yeah. but it's into the 20s isn't it it's it's officially up to age 25 yeah yeah and there's a whole new um, literature now on emerging young adults so that goes probably from I mean everything's a little blurry around the edges but from you know up to the mid 30s so you know, mm. so we're we're just um yeah it's amazing isn't it because we don't intend to harm we don't intend to hurt and yet one comment can easily be remembered forever absolutely and become the justification for their pain i mean it's what they hang their pain on and yeah, yeah. Is, is if our child brings up diet and eating issues to us I guess the the best game or play we can make is just listen openly and reaffirm their worth? I would listen openly, like I said. I would try to figure out what's going on with them, why, what, you know, what is really the underlying, um, the underlying symptom, I guess. Mm. You know, is it, um, it, it, it's, it may or may not be about the weight. Right. Okay. So that's what I would, you know, I would, I would try to explore what's going on. Has anything happened? Has someone said something to you? You know what I mean? To try to yeah. get at that. And then, um, and then really direct it away from that. I mean, let your child know that there is strong research showing that going on a diet predicts weight gain over time. And what would be a much better strategy is just to kind of pay attention. What does my body feel like it needs? Am I hungry? Am I full? How can I eat more fruits and vegetables? If I'm having dessert, you know, how do I have a reasonable amount? So these are behaviors that we can then continue through our whole life. And there's going to be ups, there's going to be downs. Sometimes we're going to eat when we're not hungry. Um, but the usual the usual thing that we want to to um, to do is to eat when we're hungry and stop eating when we're full, mm-hmm. right? So that's the kind of thing that we're going toward, and um, and and then we need tools for for when we are upset, for when we have been the victim of bullying, for when something difficult has happened to us. You know, then then we see that food can be used as a coping mechanism just like alcohol or drugs. And we need to help our children develop tools that they can use instead of those behaviors. Yeah, educating them 
on how to handle it, not just fixing supposedly the the seemingly obvious problem, but maybe some of the bigger, deeper issues down yeah. deep. Yeah. And, and then the other thing is we need to be working as a society. So there are things that parents can do. There are things that children can do. But what can we do in our society to make sure that we aren't having weight-related bullying in schools, that our children are not constantly exposed to very thin um, models with unrealistic body sizes, that they are not exposed to, to negative weight-related comments from our, um, from our celebrities, from our politicians, whatever it may be. So what can we do at the societal level to make, um, to make our society less, uh, more accepting Hmm. And at the same time, what can we do at our societal level to to um, encourage healthy eating and physical activity? You know, so so we've seen, for example, soda taxes, which may decrease soda. We see changing norms around drinking soda pop. Um, what type of food is most readily available? You know, in our in our neighborhoods, and is cheaper for people to eat. So, so we need to work at the family level, but also at a societal level. Love it, love it. Great insight, Doctor Diane Newmark Steiner. Thank you again so much for your your time with this. Everybody, go check out the book. I'm like so fat, helping your teen make healthy choices about eating and exercise in a weight obsessed world. Research based, and uh, if you notice, just right to the heart, I think, of the real issue. Powerful influence we have on our children. Stick with us. We'll take a break. Come back. Do a little Coach's Corner when we come back. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you live longer, love stronger, lead healthier, happier lives. I'm ready to go in, Coach. Just give me a chance. Because life doesn't come with a handbook, you need a coach. Here's Dr. Matt and his coaching corner. Play ball! Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, as I was talking with Dr. Newmark Steiner, I um, I noticed that there's just so many little things we may say, jokes we may make, without really understanding the impact that it has on a teen, a child, an adolescent, a young adult. So, again, I, I mentioned earlier in the show that I've spent this weekend, uh, we lost, we had an accident in my my town, my small city, um, where two teenage kids were killed. Uh, five were in a car and two of them were killed. One was um, a, a, a twin girl, teenage, 16. And um, another 16-year-old boy happened to be friends with my son as well. And then last night I had the chance to to meet with 50 to 60 youth um, and talk about, you know, how what their feelings were about this situation. I – we our kids are fragile. Our kids are so valuable and important to us. They're so amazing and loved and we care about them and we're only trying to help, Right. But we make comments about their weight that then impact them over time. As I as I just noticed how much these uh, children mean to us, I worry that as parents, we we just need more skills. We need more tools. We need the research that we're finding out about um, uh, about diets and the impact of talking about weight with your kids. 
it's not about um, being a perfect type of parent, but we can learn. We don't need to have two or three more generations of children growing up um, with eating disorders because of simple little statements we've made and and comments that we've thrown out there. So families are fragile. That's what I've learned this weekend. Children are a gift, right, from heaven. And yet they're in our care. And a lot of times as parents, we don't spend enough time just trying to make sure we're parenting in a skilled way. Go get a book. Go start spending a little of your time learning more. Listen to podcasts. Listen to blog. Go read blogs. Go listen and watch vlogs. There's so many resources out there to being a parent and even a, a healthier, more engaged parent. Don't always just assume because it you you know you lived through it as a teenager that everyone can feel the same way about it. It's it's something we probably need to take a lot more seriously. We we spend more time probably figuring out what workout you know program to watch than we do and what how many calories to bring into our body than we do actually spend in our parenting. And I've just noticed with this tragedy in my neighborhood, the parents are amazing and the parents that love their kids so fully and were amazing, incredible, loving parents still sadly lost their children. It's just that random accident. Um but it should be a, a maybe a call for all of us to pick up our games in our own families, pick up our moment of connecting to our kids as much as we can, um, not taking them for granted, relaxing a little bit about the grades maybe, and connect more to who they are. Uh, do a lot more listening as we learned and maybe a whole lot less talking. Just very valuable lessons. And uh, these parents were doing that. They were incredible. And it doesn't always mean you're not going to suffer tragedy and loss. So our prayers go out to those families, but also hopefully a challenge for all of us to to not make weight be your child's identity. Get rid of the fact and realize the research is very clear. When you tease people, it predicts disordered eating, more likely to be dis, have disordered ease eating. When they're displeased with their body, they're more likely to have eating problems. And when they are pushed to go on a diet and to lose weight, the, the actual reality is they're much more inclined to gain weight. Um, that's the research from the, the great experts at the University of Minnesota. Let's love our kids, folks, and just be grateful they're here. Hug them. Hug them. Hug them if you've got them. That's hour number two of the show. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you feel and see and be the good in the world. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here. Hour number three of the program. This is the show where we give you the tools, the information, the latest and greatest research so that you can live a smarter life. An informed, educated <laughs> life. What's so funny? I just think that's <laughs> funny to say. Oh. 
We're informing, we're educating so that you know how to handle life. Today will be no exception. Kim Giles will be joining us from Clarity Point Coaching to talk about how to be a hero in your current situation. You know, depending on how your life is going, you might need to step up, be the superhero. You don't always need to expect somebody in tights with a special utility belt to come in and save the day, Terry. Wouldn't that be cool? Well, it would be cool, but mm-hmm. my, it might be cooler hmm. if you just could do it yourself. I don't know. Guy shows up in a tricked-out Batmobile. I mean, that's, that's cool. That's don't get interesting. Me wrong. That's yeah. super cool. Yeah. It might not change your problem with your coworker. You would forget about it for a few minutes. Yeah. It would distract you. Yeah. But like, wow, look at that car. Well, but and then you get back to your fight. The problem is that there's a lot of things that would distract you that aren't healthy either. Maybe a bottle of gin. Mm. That's a distraction. Maybe video games for eight hours a day. Distraction. It was only two. <laughs> it doesn't it make called, you a hero. It was called parenting. Oh, is that what you were playing with your boy? Parenting, yes. I've heard of that video game. Oh, is there a video game good. parenting? Yeah. Yeah, I think in the video game you just you sit down on a couch and you play a video game within the game. Oh, I love games where you, you know get to how, play games within games. Yeah, you know how there's like a movie within a movie? Uh-huh. This is a playing a video game within a video game. See, this is why the United Nation in 1996 decided to create World Television Day. Because they were afraid that we would eventually turn into this. You can watch Mr. Rogers. This, this is these are all the hot movies or hot television shows back in my day. Three's Company. If there were more than three channels, I don't think those shows would have been quite as popular. Yeah, I agree. No, don't you think? Don't you find it ironic that right when Beavis and Butthead comes out, yeah, they're the UN's talking about you got to watch out for TV. Well, yeah. What would they think of today's TV? They would hate it. But today's TV did get a president elected. Depending on who you talk to, yes. Yeah. Well, I just listen to people on TV. Right. They, they feel like they make everything happen. Uh, World Television Day, a great day to celebrate. Also, World Hello Day. Hmm. Hello, darling. Oh. This is Louis. Louis. Oh, why does everybody else call him Louis? I know. I was then? just thinking that. I thought they called him Louis, not Louis Armstrong. What a voice. Wow, it's like he's in the room. He's singing. Yeah. See, Jeff, that singing I really appreciated. I mean, other times that you've been singing, we've wondered, you know. But that, you nailed it. Couldn't you listen to this all show? Can we just do that? Nope. Uh, please? There's certain limits. Here's a big part. Mm. Jeff's playing some Is that sax you just played for me? Really? Or a trumpet? (laughs) Sounded more saxy to me Hello Dolly What a life What a life It's Hello Day First created in 73 to show people Especially the people of the Middle East That you can resolve conflicts Without violence 
just send him that song. Jeff playing his little trumpet roll. It's all good. It's all good. We got so much to talk about today. We'll be getting into how to be a hero in your current situation with Kim Giles, plus um, some news about the world's first commercially available jetpack. Mm. That's that's big news. That's huge news, especially just in time for Christmas. It's going to be big. Uh, Remember, last year's big Christmas news was the exploding um, hoverboard thing. Yes, it was. And then you immediately bought one for your kid, right? Yeah, we were going to. And then we immediately sold it back when we realized that it might our house might burn down. And if you want a good stocking stuffer this year, you can get the exploding salad dressing. Oh, that was, that was the best. We did a big story on the exploding salad dressing, which I might g- give as a neighbor gift. <laughs> <laughs> It's explosive. Plus, uh, an update for pageant officials. If you know anybody in a pageant, um, pageant officials in Mesa, Arizona, are urging thieves to return stolen crowns. Hmm. So like we will get to that. From your mouth? No, I think it's uh, like oh, tiaras and other type of head dress. What do you call it? Headdresses? I don't know what you call those. Crowns. Crowns. Yeah. <laughs> headgear. Bedazzled, bejeweled headgear. All that ahead, but uh, first let's get to some headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's going on around, around, on around the rest of the country that we need to pay attention to? Incoming White House Chief of Staff Reince Priebus addressed an interview in an interview Sunday. Confusion over whether President-elect Donald Trump is serious about creating a national registry of Muslims, or perhaps just Muslim immigrants, as he proposed on the campaign trail. Priebus said, look, I'm not going to rule anything out, but we're not going to have a registry based on religion. So we'll see if that that's calms a, down any That's concerns. a great answer. Trump, Good answer. Trump indicated on Twitter Sunday morning that retired Marine General James uh, Mattis, Matisse? M- M- Mattis, I think. M-A-T-T-I-S. Yeah. Is a leading option for the Defense Department, referring this weekend's array of meetings with possible cabinet nominees. Uh, Matisse is re- uh, referred to as Mad Dog Matisse. Ma- Mad Dog Matisse. Yes. He said he, uh, he called him very impressive. 44 years of service in the Marine Corps. Matisse was a combat commander in Afghanistan and Iraq. Hmm. So that's interesting. Well, that's also, really today, good. Hawaii Democrat Representative uh, Tulsi Gabbard is meeting with uh, President-elect Donald Trump, a possible transition team Monday for a possible top job in the new administration. She was uh, uh, involved in the Democratic National Committee but stepped down that's to right. support Bernie Sanders. So this could be the Democrat that everybody keeps talking about that could make it into the cabinet. Yes. Interesting. That was uh, that was an that was an impactful moment when she was pushing back on the DNC. So we'll see if that has any any legs going forward. Hmm. Um, and finally, a Thanksgiving meal for ten people will cost about forty nine dollars and eighty seven cents, which is a twenty four cent decrease from a year ago, according to the American Farm Bureau Federation. By the way, I just spoke to the Utah Farm Bureau. Okay. No idea if they're related to the American Farm Bureau. It could be. So shout out to all my Utah Farm Bureau friends. 100 years. So this year, $49.87. Last year, $50.11. Prices for a 16-pound turkey could cost you $22 this year, about $1.42 a pound. Compared to last year, this represents a decrease in $0.02 per pound. Ah. So 30 cents for the whole turkey. Cheaper turkeys. Milk, pumpkin pie mix, carrots, celery, and miscellaneous ingredients 
will also cost less, according to the survey. <sighs> so you, basically, you should expect to pay about $5 per person for a classic Thanksgiving dinner for 10 That's great. Is that good news? $5? About $5. (sighs) Donald Trump, I assume? He hasn't done anything yet. (laughs) I'm sure it's President Obama and his, you know, work over the last eight years. It it might just be the economy. Well, hold on. No, 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 no. Because when the economy is good, people want to get out there and talk about what they did. When it's bad, they're like, well, you know, there's other factors. Well, yeah, but many of our guests have been saying that the economy wasn't as good as it needed to be, which is why the election. For some. Yeah, for the Democrats. Not necessarily, just for some. Should have been better because then they would have won. Don't know. That's great news. I don't care who did it. Five bucks off your 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 dinner, bingo. You can spend that extra money on marshmallows. Now you can buy more food. Yeah. <laughs> hey, uh, interesting um, story that I, I really just think is important if you're looking for a Christmas gift for your kids. There is the new ultimate toy that uh, will relive the James Bond fantasies and bring him right to life. Now Jetpack Aviation has announced that the world's first commercially available jetpack is on sale to well-qualified buyers. The JB-10 Jetpack is powered by two miniature jet engines run on aviation fuel that sit on either side of a harness and can be controlled by two joysticks. Hmm. Let's hope it's not manufactured by Samsung. (laughs) I don't know what the big deal is. My Samsung phone gets just as much lift as... Did you notice it's the JB10? JB10. James Bond. I did not know that. There was the T's for James Bond there. Um, Jet Blaster. I thought JB stood for Jet Blaster. Yeah. Maybe not. Maybe not. By the way, it's going to run about $45,000. Whoa. Um, Well, no. They're they're raising money to make this happen. Oh, that's right. So... They've only raised they've only raised about forty five grand out of the three hundred and eighty grand they're looking for, but they do believe these will cost about two hundred and fifty thousand dollars each. Hmm. But honestly, imagine the face of your child. Hmm. Let's say your twelve year old, <laughs> right? As they open up their jetpack, they put it on Christmas morning, and then begin to literally burn your entire house down. Right. Well, you. you it, it's definitely an outside toy. Larry, did you did you light your JB10 in the house? No. No, mom. I can smell jet fuel. If you do that though, you're telling your kid this is the last gift you all you will ever ever receive. You're out of the will. No college. Yeah. This is it. You know what you do though? You know it's bad, so watch this with your neighbors. If your neighbors have um aviation fueling refueling trucks pulling up, Right before Christmas, you're in trouble. It's a definite sign. Definite sign. Your kids are going to be envious of the neighbor's gift. I think they got a jetpack. Did they get that kid a jetpack? That is the most spoiled kid in the world. (laughs) Kid will never learn. Did you hear Timmy broke his neck? How do you do it? Just flying his jetpack in his bedroom. I hate when that happens. You can't. You got it. Timmy, it's an outdoor toy. Low ceilings. Low Mm -hmm. ceilings. Makes it tough. Except I'm assuming if you can throw down 250 grand, you probably got vaulted ceilings. Yeah.
So maybe maybe you can use to clean those ceilings, those hard to reach spaces. Hey, can you change the light bulb up there, Timmy? Yeah, Mom, sure. you always make me work, and you're costing me fuel. Hey, pageant officials urge thieves to return stolen crowns. Police are searching for a pair of crown crooks. The hunt is on for a man and a woman who stole a package that contained dresses and a half a dozen Miss America crowns. These are the big ones. Miss America crowns. The pageant finery was in a package that was stolen from a porch of a Mesa home this week. Officials with the Miss Phoenix, Miss Maricopa, Miss Scottsdale uh, scholarship pageants are now asking thieves to return the stolen crowns for other young women to earn. Executive Director Whitney Ford received a shipment Friday of replacement crowns, but she is still hoping the stolen items will return as she has a message for thieves. She's asking them to bring the crowns back to her porch. No questions asked. To you, it doesn't mean anything, but to us, it means the world. It's all of our hard work, our dedication. It's the little people that make it possible. It's the tape. It's the Vaseline on the teeth. It's all of the airbrushing. I think, yeah, if these are the types of crowns that were in their mouths, they'd be a lot harder to steal. That's why that's the only crown that matters. Can't you just replace them with the ones at Burger King? They cost about 800 bucks. Probably not. That is some serious crownage. Hmm. So to the thieves out there from the Matt Townsend Show, come on. Get the, hot, get the loving spirit of Thanksgiving and the holidays. Bring back the crowns. Don't make me send someone on a jetpack to get you. Hmm. Sounded like you were getting emotional there for I a was. A girl needs her crown. That's what my sisters used to say. A girl needs her crown. Anyway, uh, there's some crazy news for you right there. What else do you need to know? Life is good. Donald Trump's on the case, choosing a cabinet, and uh, the Phoenix, Arizona police are all over it to find the crown thieves. Up next, folks, Kim Giles will be joining us. We will be talking about how to be a hero in your current situation how to take life, grab it by the neck, and turn it into something amazing. You're, you can be your own hero. Up next. could be and you may need to be it's your life and joining us today to help us figure out how to be a hero in your current situation kim giles uh, kim is the president and founder of clarity point coaching popular life coach author speaker named one of the top 20 advice gurus in the country by good morning america and uh, she has now been named as one of the interstellar uh top gurus ever in this part of the galaxy yeah, you've stretched that to the point you're running out of ways to go bigger, Matt. No, no, I know. I need bigger. I need to. I need bigger words. <laughs> Kim, how are you, my friend? Good. You, uh, here. you, you're. I know you're gearing up for the big holidays. You just, you got friends in town, little coworkers in yeah. town. They're celebrating the first Turkey Day. They're going to see the gluttonous American in action. <laughs> it's kind of scary. It's going to be fun. Very scary. Talk to me about how to be a hero in my current situation. Well, I've noticed over the years, and I'm sure you have too, Matt, with your coaching clients, that every once in a while, 
they find themselves in the situation dealing with people that are behaving so badly. Oh, yeah. But instead of being pulled in and and reacting and joining them in the mud, right? Yeah. They rise. And in that moment, they choose to take the high road. Oh. And it takes heroic effort. And it's right? amazing, right? To overcome that yep. ego that wants to just slash back, right? But they <laughs> they do it and they yeah. take the high road and I'm like, you were heroic. You did it. That that is the hero of your story. It really is when all you would, you could justify all day long behaving bad. That's cool. But you choose not to and you choose to rise and and behave better and we all have opportunities every day. Right. To do that. It, it's and it's it's almost like you don't have to want it. You don't have to want the moment. You could have a curveball thrown at you, but it's still an opportunity to rise. Yeah. Well, or fall and wallow and blame and hate. You can pick either one. In every moment, those are your two options yep. pretty much. And and I simplify them a little bit from my clients that there's only two states you can be in. You can be in a state of fear where you're in a defensive position, protecting, promoting, trying to get what you need to quiet your fear. Mm. Or you can get in trust that you're fine, that you're safe, that your value is enough and that you have nothing, you need nothing. There, there's no need to defend. And from that trust position, you can actually show up with love and and really be the hero in that moment and not make it about you. Yeah. So you've got these two choices, and and really they're very clear. You know, <laughs> you yeah. know which is the high road and the low road yeah. in each of but those it, moments. But it's the, and they're the difficulty. It's sometimes it's easier to just go downhill, right, and just follow the fluids downhill. Always easier. But you're saying you might need to exert, make a choice, step up. Well, that's the key. What you just said is make a choice because for most of us. Ninety-five percent of the choices we make, we make subconsciously. Yeah, ninety-five percent. We don't even. We're not choosing. Mm-mm. We're just reacting, and we've all got this subconscious programming that drives most of that behavior, and most of that subconscious programming is fear-based. Yeah, and in a place of protecting and promoting you, so it's not going to be good behavior. And the thing that makes our subconscious programming so powerful is that it's so fast. Oh. The second something happens, you're in respond or react mode before you've had a chance to think. It's automatic. It is. And then then it creates an automatic. So you're already reacting and you already have a feeling and the feeling seems validated because you're feeling it like like your feelings are ever wrong. Yeah. You're always right about what you feel. And so, I mean, I feel ticked and I deserve to go off here. And right. by, by the time you're down the road half a block, you're hijacked and you're on the wrong bus. <laughs> totally. But you don't know it. And then, then you, you, you look stupid to own it. Like, at oh, that yeah, point, boy, you have to apologize. Right. Okay, I reacted badly, which, to be honest, how heroic is that? Mm. If you can stop yourself in mid-bad behavior and say, wait a minute, I let my subconscious programming go here and I re- reacted bad. And, and apologizing in that moment, I think that's huge that's powerful. heroic. Absolutely. Yeah. Imagine for your kids to see that. Whoa, dad just stopped in the middle of a ramp, a, a, a tirade, a tangent, and just owned it. 
and grew up. Holy cow! Dad just yeah. grew up. And don't you think in, we think that we lose face if we do、mm. that? But in reality, people are going to respect you more. Yeah. It takes so much maturity to go there that you earn you earn your kids' respect, and there's some vulnerability there which helps them connect with you. Yeah. Apologize every chance you get, folks, because this is this is a powerful example. Well, it also seems、kids. like the minute you do that, you shift the entire like ecosystem. Because now, if Dad's going to start owning his crud,、mm, everyone could. We might have to start all owning it, <laughs> and I mean, it could be that's the shift. That could be this quantum shift that's powerful. Yeah. Now, I I came up with three questions in my article today that you could ask yourself to help shift your perspective of the situation to one where it's easier to be heroic、There、and respond、okay. in a good way. So, my first question that you got to ask yourself: Am I experiencing this situation for a reason?、Hmm. Now, I got this question actually from one of my heroes, Viktor Frankl. Yeah, who's sitting in the concentration camps during World War II under the worst circumstances imaginable, posed that question to himself: Is it random bad luck that I ended up right here? Was it just random bad luck that I got caught and ended up here, or am I here for a reason? Does the universe have me here for a purpose? Is there meaning in this?、Mm. And he finally decided: If there is no purpose, then it doesn't matter how I behave. Right, then whatever. <laughs> right. But if there's a reason, then my behavior matters. The way I handle it matters, right? Yeah. And and I have posed the idea to my clients that we see life as a classroom, and that we are here for the reason to、uh, of growing, of、yeah. learning, of becoming a better version of ourselves. And if that is the reason you're in your current situation, how would that change how you see it? So I I,、uh, I had a reader write in with this question. She's got a, a stepdaughter who just hates her and treats her terribly.、Mm. Well, this is the question: Is she in your life for a reason? Is is she actually here to serve you as a teacher, or is this just random bad luck that you got her as your relative? Yeah, she、uh, she's just a pain in the neck. Because I, I guess does this assume then? That you have、um, a connection to this universe that's higher than just you're you're just living life, right? So this this almost gives context to everything. It, it does. You're basically deciding: is the universe random and chaos,、mm. and is it literally almost against me because I'm in danger every moment from all the bad things that can happen, or is the universe actually for me? And is everything that shows up in my journey here to serve, to educate me, make me stronger and wiser and more loving? And frankly, this will change the way you feel in every situation,、oh, yeah. even stuck in traffic. What if you don't know? Like, what if you don't? I don't know if this world is here to conspire and ruin me and conspire against me, or work for me, or if it just could care less about me. Well. I don't I know either,、it. Matt. I and, guess you test actually, each one. Victor Frankel said that he didn't know either,、uh-huh. and the reality is there's no way to know.、Mm-mm. I can't prove to you either idea is truth. So where that leaves us is that you get to choose your perspective,、mm. and I guess that's how you, you do it. You have to choose your what, perspective, what, and one of them will make you feel differently than the other. So choose one that makes、it. you feel better. And, yeah.
Yeah. And get you through this. So we we want everybody to make sure they're really clear on this idea cool. that you are going to choose a viewpoint. If you don't consciously choose it, you're going to subconsciously choose it. And you'll probably choose the random fear-based life is against me Right. if that's your subconscious choice. Right. So folks, choose to see life as your perfect classroom. And whatever it is that you get hit with today, stuck in traffic, a kid that has a meltdown, whatever it is, it's here to serve you. It's good. So we got to rise. We got to see it that way so that we can rise. And this kind of goes into my second point. Do we have time for yeah, it? Yeah, give us a second one. Okay. Then we'll take a break. Is it, it's basically how can I turn this moment into a heroic human achievement? And this is, again, what Viktor Frankl decided, that if he's here for a reason – and that reason has to be growth, then how could he behave in this circumstance in a way that really would rise above and and turn this into something he can be proud of? He said human potential at its best is to transform a tragedy into a personal triumph, to turn one's predicament into a human achievement. Hmm. And And we can do this too. And even though small to, – to be honest, I did get stuck in traffic recently and I found myself subconsciously <laughs> wanting to behave like a big baby, right? Like, what the ah, – <laughs> I have places to go. Yeah. Move, right? And I, I, I realized, OK, human achievement for me is to actually be patient. Yeah. Just, right? Just be OK with what is. Be OK with what is. And, and it was interesting. I decided to trust the universe that it knows what it's doing. And when I arrived 30 minutes late to that appointment, the man I was meeting with said, oh, don't say sorry. I literally – I was on a really important call and I was praying that you'd be late. Wow. There you go. Okay. Problem solved. <laughs> the universe knows what it's doing. We just have to trust it. It's so true. So true. Uh, two questions. Am I experiencing this situation for a reason? The next question, how can I turn this moment into a uh, heroic human achievement? More, folks, when we come back with Kim Giles from Clarity Point Coaching on how to be a hero in your current situation. Stick with us, helping to see the good in the world. We'll be right back. Joining us now is Kim Giles, Clarity Point Coaching, and uh, she's walking us through how you can be a hero in your own current situation. You can be like Batman, without the tights or the utility belt. Yeah, you don't have to wear those to be the hero. Thank heavens. (laughs) The tights thing, that's enough to just throw any superhero. Because you're saying every day there's a chance, you know, things might not go the way you want it. You could have a curveball thrown at your life. But even if there's a curveball, you still get to decide how you handle it, what you turn it into. Yeah, you get to decide. And a matter of fact, one of the most useful things that we can all do, especially if you're going through a really rough experience right now, is I I like you to imagine that you're old and gray, you're old, your life is almost over, and you're looking back at what happened, about uh, your life story. If you had to look back at the chapter from where you are today to the end, what do you want to see there? Mm. And, and I actually ask my coaching clients to write the end of the story. Let, let's take the time to write this heroic 
ending from where you are now to the next year or two? What, what do you want to see happen? What, what would be the hero's story? What would it look like? What would you create? How would you behave? And, and actually write the story, which is the most powerful way to set an intention. And the likelihood of you actually fulfilling that's pretty high. That could be anything. I mean, that could be to being abused to being born with a disability, to losing somebody you love and care about, to suffering through anxiety or depression. Yeah. You can write the, any one of these stories. Any one of those stories. Your, your a spouse divorce, cheated uh, on yeah. you. Yeah. What, whatever it is, you lost a child. Mm. You know, we have people in our community that went through that. And, yeah. and you know, the, the way we're going to process and, and survive and move forward from those experiences could go either way. Right. Right. It could be very positive and we could gain strength and wisdom or we could self-destruct. And, and we've seen people choose either path. Mm-hmm. But if we sit down and put on paper a commitment that this is the end of the story, you'll, you'll guide yourself there. And it's if really you're not powerful. careful, you'll, you'll kind of like you were teaching us earlier. Naturally, you might just go with your pain. Right. You just kind of follow the pain into the story that you don't like. And then some you might even keep retelling the story you don't like. So I guess some people might do that naturally. You can always catch it, right? Even three years later, five years later, oh, yeah. you can catch yourself and then rewrite the story. Doesn't matter. All we have is to start today where we are and and go from here. Mm, that's cool. Yeah. So there's, that's one idea. Now, I have one other question that is really powerful. Um, and And frankly, I have to ask myself this question almost every day. What is actually in my control? There you go. Because, you know, a large percentage of the stuff that we're carrying and that we're stressing and worrying about every day, it's not in your control anyway. The, the list, if you sit down with paper and define what is in my control in this situation, it's going to be a short list. And about all that's going to be on it is I choose my attitude hmm. every day. I choose my thoughts. And, and, and that one's tricky because you may have thoughts that show up. But you choose to embrace them or replace them with something better. Hmm. And that is in your control. And a lot of times we don't want to own that we have control in that because it's a lot easier to say, I can't help it. This right. just makes me feel this What am I supposed to feel? Right. right. I've got this and this. Yeah. But Viktor Frankl pr- really was the proof to the world that in the worst circumstances – we still have the power to choose our attitude, right, and how we're going to feel. You're responsible for your words and your actions. And that's pretty much the scope of what you have pretty control Pretty much all over. you got. Right. 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 So what are you going to do about those things? Victor Frankl talked about the fact that he would, he would always look over at the women's camp, assuming his wife was over at the female camp, and he'd always envision meeting her again, seeing her again, holding her again. Meanwhile, not knowing the entire time she wasn't there, she had already been killed. And But it didn't change the experience for him. It was just as vivid. It was just as real. It was just as uplifting. And later he he got to deal with that. Right. But it carried him through some of the worst times. Well, we did a segment a while back, you and I, about the the ways lying to yourself might actually serve you. Yeah, right. And and this, this is something – that can help you change your attitude. So I had a situation where we we were in a hurry somewhere. We'd packed up and got in the car and left. And 15 minutes down the road, my daughter realizes she left her homework back mm. there. 
Mm-hmm. And we have to have it. We you have to have go back. It. Right. And I was not happy. Patience is not my thing. Now yeah. I'm way behind schedule. And I realized my ego wants to be kind of mean to her about it, make her feel bad, right. really behave immaturely about having to go back. And so I chose to believe that there's purpose and meaning in what happens that there was going to be a multi-car accident down the road. Mm-hmm. And that daughter just saved our lives. By forgetting her homework. That's, <laughs> and I know made up some story. it's delusional, but, but it, I was so nice about the whole thing. Right. And, and I, you know, asked her to really be careful next right. time. But, you know, because you're making you it up anyway. Lives. You really are. We're making we're, we're we, making we have story. to ne- negatively interpret Everything. and generate a story. So if you're if you're making it up anyway, do it intentionally. Skew it. Yeah, because really our perspective on everything is story. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That we've created. We just are creating it subconsciously again instead of actually consciously choosing a story that would help us have less fear and more mm-hmm. love. Well, you could have you could have taken it 10 different directions to try to get more of a healthy story in there. She probably didn't do this intentionally. She would have loved to have not forgotten not her have word. To not have forgotten. Right. And so you can add more to the story just by consciously – Looking for more information. Or I could have just decided to see this as my classroom today yeah, to see patient. how I could be more loving and wise. And, and right. you know, our kids are here to teach us how to, to grow us. Mm. I mean, I think there's much the teachers as we are to Absolutely. Them. And boy, they're good at triggering all your faults and bad behavior so That's you can huge. work on them. What would you say then as we wrap up, Kim? What's the one thing – that we can do this second to start taking our story back and getting more conscientious and conscious about what we want to become. In every moment, what is the love-based choice of behavior? And and you'll know immediately your ego doesn't want to do that one. It wants to be right and yeah. angry and, and justify, but the love-based choice is the right one. And if you choose it, you're going to end up feeling so good about yourself afterwards. Trust me, it's worth it. And you'll feel love. You will. Beautiful. And happy. Beautiful. Kim Giles is her name. Go to ClarityPointCoaching.com. Again, all the resources you need. There's so many. Just go start exploring the site. Wonderful. A lot of free things there per pound, more than anywhere else on earth. Uh, Plus, you can go to their store, their calendar, find out more what's going on. Choose the love-based choice. What a great uh, little piece of advice. We'll take a break, come back, visit our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation, do a recap of the BYU-UMass game, plus find out what's up on their show today. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You won! You did it! You did it! I knew you would! I just knew you would! Welcome what back, friends. Another victory for the BYU Cougars against UMass. And uh, who better to walk us through their insights on the game but our good brethren down at BYU Sports Nation. Hello, gentlemen. Are you there, Spencer and Jerem? We can hear you. Can you hear us? Oh, I know you're there. We... Uh, uh, gen- gentlemen, Spencer and Jerem, are you there, guys? Yes. We are here. Can you hear us? We could hear yes. you. We heard. Okay. You. We, we almost heard uh, private conversation going on there. Did you hear oh, you Spencer did. Talking about. 
No, we didn't hear anything. What? Just so you can relax. Oh, you didn't. You didn't hear that super uh, personal, personal conversation I was having with Jeremy about texting my wife. Front of a hot yes. Mic. <laughs> hey, by the way, can we talk about that for a minute? Yes, please. Okay, so there's a function on the iPhone where it it will record a message, and then you can just send the recorded message out. Audio. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. Okay, so my wife and I were talking about some personal stuff, and she happened to just be recording it accidentally, and then accidentally sent it out to about eight women that were in a dinner or a lunch group she has. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, no. And then we panicked. Barbara's haircut is not amazing. Barbara's got to get new hair. It's crazy. So it was, anyway, it created a very uh, scary moment, let's just say. Yeah, <laughs> but apparently my wife had it set so that it expires in two minutes, and only two of the eight ladies got to listen to it, and only one of the those two listened to it forty four times, nice. <laughs> and then shared it with the other seven sh- anyway, yeah. and, and then, then forwarded saved. it on exactly. Yeah. Oh my goodness! So you got to watch out for that, guys. You want to hear a funny story? Yes. When I was in Cincinnati, I uh, had a friend who is a, a hairstylist, mm. and like so, I was like, I thought. Maybe this person was having an emergency. Yeah. Because, like, all of a sudden, like, my phone started to ring, and then it was FaceTime and whatever. Right. So I answered, and I'm like, is everything okay? And very quickly realized that this person did not intend (laughs) to to FaceTime me. Oops. (laughs) (laughs) But then they tried to play it off like, oh, yeah, I I meant to to do this. Hey, pal. I FaceTime every friend every day, every week. (laughs) Yeah, I love that moment. This person also might oh. not have the highest of standards, mm. and so may have been a bit inebriated. Yeah. Good, good use of the words. There, our uh, coordinating producer on BYU Sports Nation today, uh, McKinley, she accidentally FaceTimed me. She meant to just call me because she she helps produce Kathy Aiken's stories for Kenton and the Kickoff. Yeah. So she, I knew she was at her wedding reception that night, and she FaceTimed me on accident, and she was – you know, in her uh, beautiful dress and everything. And I was like, hi, what's up? Whoa. Why are you FaceTiming me? She's like, oh, this is an accident. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> that is the best. See, then then you make them pay, right? Then you just say, well, good, because I wanted to talk about the show right now. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, I have some real things to discuss. No, was, <laughs> The yeah, FaceTime butt dial is amazing. I was like, yeah, mm. we, that was awkward for both of us. Yeah, that's always, <laughs> it's always awkward. You look amazing. Why are you FaceTiming me? Why are you FaceTiming me? me? It's Saturday. Yeah. Hey, um, uh, <laughs> BYU Cougars and UMass, how, how do you feel that went? Who cares about that? Let's keep talking about these horrible <laughs> stories. <laughs> you do not want to go talk about UMass. I understand. Yeah. I understand. No, it was uh, it was interesting. I mean, BYU it was a weird first half. It and was then all of a sudden BYU was I up like by weird. forty. Yeah. What what happened? What happened? What happened to these people? A, a mighty wind. A good mockumentary. Um, <laughs> if you haven't seen, it. I haven't seen it, but hey, I'm going the, to now. The same people that did uh, Best in Show and uh, Oh, I down. love that. Yeah. So uh, BYU scored 44 and answered. The defense and the special teams really brought it. Forced some turnovers. You got some easy points. Uh, 37 nothing in the second half. So BYU a, a 51-9 winner. Now they have Utah State coming in town, who's mm-hmm. three and eight. They've lost all five games on the road. They've lost the last two weeks. Uh, close, dramatic losses, uh, not going to be bowl eligible. This is Utah State's bowl game. So Matt Wills uh, will have those guys ready for the Cougars. How cool. I, I think it's a fun last game. Yeah. Like 
the last two weeks haven't been compelling matchups for BYU, but the Cougars have taken care of business and gotten their stats and blah, 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 blah. Utah State's a fun game to end the season. Yeah. I like it. And it, it should be uh, colder than Kiak, so that'll be awesome. <laughs> Cold, love, love those 8-15 late November kickoffs. Oh. It's actually 821 or 826. So I mean 826. Don't yeah. let them get you. It's not 8-15. That, that'll be yeah, – They'll get you. They'll get you. They'll get you every time. <laughs> hey, um, I got a Christmas idea for you guys. So, okay. Thanksgiving doesn't even happen. I know, but, but you got to get on this. Um, True. There are now the first commercially available jet packs for your kids. Oh, nice. $250,000. $250,000. $250,000. But then, but the neat a thing is. Of a million? Yeah, and it's. it's that? But it's it's a jet pack. I mean, yeah. this isn't just like yeah, the some Rocketeer, explosive. Bro. Right. 94. It's not a Samsung 7. <laughs> no, hold on. It's not a Samsung. Explosive. Note. Not like that. It's it, this is a real jet pack with jet fuel, aviation fl- fuel, and you know it's two hundred fifty grand. Wow. You gonna That's get it to for know. your kids? Uh, I would, but I don't want to. Yeah. <laughs> no, I understand. That makes. That's a great answer. <laughs> <laughs> I would, but I don't want to. I would, but no. I, will you do the dishes? I would do that, but I don't want to do that. That's so great. If I wanted to do it, I would do it. How to ruin your marriage with one simple sentence. Wait, does that ruin your marriage? Uh-oh. If you do it time and time again, you could probably get away with it a few times. I will do it as soon as I want to do it. <laughs> That's. That's. I, I wrote that down. I'm going to try that with my wife tonight. I, I'll do it when I want to. I don't agree with you. But I shall not do it. I shall not do it, and I might try it if I want to sometime in the future. Goodbye. What uh, uh, What's on your show today? Okay, so we're going to uh, talk oh, about the weekend. So much. So BYU much. basketball and football both got big wins. Yeah. Which team impressed you more? Kyle Van Noy sacked Colin Kaepernick for the New England Patriots, which was awesome. Yet again, mm. Colin Kaepernick was brought to his knee. And, <laughs> yes, 40 years old for Rocky. Ooh. You don't get it, Rock. You're no good. You're no good, Rock. <laughs> Is that a big deal or no deal? That's a big deal. Mm. Greatest well, that, ever. ESPN's Trevor Maddich, too. Whenever we talk to him about rivalry games, oh my gosh. whether it's Utah or Utah State. like He never lost to Utah or Utah State. He, yeah, he doesn't understand. It's guaranteed <laughs> media gold. Like If you don't do anything for the, on the show except listen to Trevor Maddich talk about the rivalries, then do that. Yeah, <laughs> it's funny. It's, it's always entertaining. It's really That's funny. good. That's a great show. Just fast, boy. Okay, you're ready. You're ready to go. I know you got to go get waxed up. Let's. Good luck to you, and uh, I'll send you the info on the jetpack. Ow! If if you guys buy it and you get three people to buy jetpacks under you, then I get a discount. So if you'll do what then you can, we're all making money. That would be That's great. Not something native to Utah at all? Not at all. It's, hey, it's, remind me to tell you about waxing my nose tomorrow, man. Okay, yeah, oh, we'll boy. write that down. Nose okay. wax. Yep. That ought to be fun. Listener discretion advice. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, guys. Have a good show. Bye. Boy, you can already tell that's going to be a bloody mess. He waxed his nose hair. Did you just swear using... No, bloody, oh, like okay. actually blood I will see. be coming out of his nose. Hmm. Can you imagine anything worse than just yanking the hair out of your nose really fast? Ow! Uh, yeah, I could. Okay. Sounds horrible. Um, Boy... What a show it has been. You're back, folks. You're back. The week's underway. Now, you just got to get ready for Thursday when you know you're going to have a major feast and get to watch the Lions play. Are you going to start training for Thursday? Yes, I've been training already. Today, I got to make sure I get some exercise in because we always do a big 12-mile or at least minimum 
walk on Thanksgiving. Oh, I meant are you training for the food that you're going to be eating? Oh, no. Like are you warming up? No. With, I'm supposed uh, to be trying a new diet, and these family members are the ones that suggested I do the diet. They, they said, hey, Tubby, why don't you do the diet? And I thought it was rude. But um, so, no, I'm not, I'm not starting the diet until December. You know, you may have a problem when people around you are saying, hey, you know what exercise program you should do? <laughs> you have no idea. You do not know my in-laws. Hey, uh, as you know, we like to end with a hero story. Today's hero is an 86-year-old man who learned how to knit to make hats for preemies. More than 300 preemie babies at the NIC, uh, the NICU um, in Northside Hospital in Atlanta are sleeping more cozily thanks to the efforts of an 86-year-old man. Ed Mosley, a resident of Dogwood Forest, assisted living in uh, Aceworth, Texas, or uh, Georgia, sorry, taught himself to knit so that he could make precious warm hats for the kids. I prevailed on my daughter to get a kit, and it comes with the right size loom, the right size tools to help you knit one, Mosley told ABC News. I just followed the instructions. It was easy. Somehow I had never knitted, and I always associated knitting with a bunch of needles. But this looked pretty doable for me. I went through two or three before I came out with a good finished product. But eventually he just went crazy on it. He had uh, personally knitted 55 colorful, comfortable baby caps in response to uh, a challenge that they had for the hospital. Over time, he then reset his goal to 200 caps and uh, eventually up to 300 caps just to take care of these preemie babies. So he's the hero of the day. Ed Mosley's his name. It doesn't matter how old you are. You can still show love and take care of people. Folks, please, please, please remember life is fragile. Go hug your family, your kids. Stay close and uh, tell them how much you love them and how important they are to you. Or your grandkids. Reach out to them now um, because life is so fragile. You never know uh, if they'll always be around for you. And let's also step up and be heroes, not just for the holidays, every day. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be back again tomorrow. More ideas, more information to help you live longer and love stronger. Until then, make it a great one. We'll talk again tomorrow.